Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we are back again. Um, it is, I don't know, I don't know how to start these. Um, we are on season three. We are on episode, excuse me, part seven. So sorry. Um, anything to bring up before we just dive it's into Super the Super Bowl epi- Sunday. We're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, yeah. Mikey and I are unbearably sanctimonious, and so we don't like football. Um, and so every year we try to do something that's purposely not football related, and that's much harder in quarantine. Yeah. So last year we went to see a play in Chicago. The year before, I think we just saw a movie. That was when we saw Bug with oh, Carrie Coon. Yeah. Oh, that was really good. It's very good. Um, and today we that was are Super Bowl Sunday, huh? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I know we usually do some, yeah, we uh, go to a movie or concert or play or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We saw Lord and Grace three yeah. or four years ago. Anyway, we're unbearably sanctimonious about that. So we are. It's five thirty on Sunday. When was kickoff? Unclear. I think I think it's one of those where I think it says five thirty uh-huh. is kickoff, but then it's not. You know what I mean? Oh, like sure. They, Sure, sure, sure. But it's any minute now. All right, so we are going to dive into this episode, um, starting with Jerry Horn waking up in the woods. (laughs) Um, He is extremely stoned. Uh, He calls his... How how could you possibly know that? Is it it because he yells, I think I'm high? Uh Uh-huh. I I think think that's it. That was a giveaway? Uh Uh-huh. Um, but there are some other context clues, mm-hmm. like the fact that he's an old stoner man. I what I love about this scene is you just see him, like eyes are darting around. He doesn't know where he is. He's lost and seemingly alone in the woods. Mm-hmm. Every you know, you get all of his POVs from various places of just more woods, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh shit, this is going to be a whole thing of. And then he lifts his hand up into frame. And he's he's got his fucking iPhone, and it's like fully charged, and has a signal, and and you're like, oh, maybe he's not as lost as he appears to be, or he's not in like immediate danger. Yeah, exactly. Like the assumption was like, oh shit, what's going on here? Yeah. And, and then, he he's getting service. Like there is yeah, exactly. very little cause for concern. Yeah. Um. So that was a fun little little scene, just to check in with our friend Ben. And yeah, and he's talking. Well, that was Jerry, but he's he's. Jerry's yes, checking Jerry in with Ben, but he, he's yeah. on the phone with Ben, and Ben has no idea what the fuck he's trying to say. He's just muttering shit at him. Just yelling into I don't know where phone. I am. My car was... He thought his car, my car was stolen. Like, yeah. It's just craziness. Yeah. And what I like, what I think is funny about this uh, is, I don't know if it's like just a rich businessman thing, but like, why does he have to be... He's Ben has has him on speakerphone and then his face is like pressed up against the thing <laughs> because he can't hear him just pick up the handset <laughs> it'll be clearer and then the audio is going directly into your ear like why do you need to be on speakerphone yeah exactly um okay so we go to twin peaks sheriff department um hawk is sitting with frank um this is a great scene yeah, uh, and they are looking over pages that uh, Hawk had found in the uh, stalled door last week mm-hmm. when he gave Chad the what for. Yeah. So they're sitting at the table. The The pages are in like an evidence bag. Um, and so we call back to the original series when they found Laura's secret diary and pages were ripped out. Mm-hmm. Is that right? 
And well, they said there four was, pages were ripped there out. There were pages ripped out, but there was all, when they found it in Harold's place, it was like shredded. Too, they found pages all over the place. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, I. But there are several pages fully. They were able to like reconstruct it. Oh, I see. And there were a few pages that were full on still just missing. Right. Um. So now we found three of those four missing pages. Right. Um. So one of the detail, one of the pages detailed an encounter Laura had with Annie Blackburn in a dream. Uh, where she told her, quote, the good Dale is in the lodge and can't leave. This is this is the exact scene we get in Firewalk With Me. Mm-hmm. During that dream, this is the Heather Graham pops up and says verbatim, mm-hmm. write this in your diary. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly what she writes in what Annie says. Oh, good. I didn't remember Almost that. verbatim, if not verbatim. Um, we can, I don't know if you want to drop that clip in or whatever, but it's, the original. Do you want to hear the original one or that? Either, whatever. Both. But, yeah, ooh. My name is Annie. I've been with Dale and Laura. The good Dale is in the lodge, and he can't leave. Write it in your diary. This came to me in a dream last night. My name is Annie. I've been with Dale and Laura. The good Dale is in the lodge and he can't leave. Write it in your diary. Unquote. Just some recording trickery. Um, (laughs) So another, um, okay, so we did that. Another page details Laura knows, quote, it isn't Bob, uh, which Hawk sees as evidence that Leland found and hid the pages during one of his visits to the station, likely when he's being interrogated for the murder of Jacques Renault. Uh, Hawk is puzzled by the claim that Cooper could not leave the lodge, as Harry himself saw Cooper leave the Black Lodge with Annie. The only explanation that... If the good Dale is still in the lodge. Right. So the... Who got out. Yeah. Um, so Frank decides he wants to touch base with Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great little scene too of like Truman is very inquisitive, mm. but he's like Frank Truman. Yeah, and he's a very good like outside perspective of mm-hmm. like, well, why, why would, how would Leland have gotten them here? Right. But you find out like like this is clearly the page that's missing is while it's we never find it, it, it this that never comes up, mm-hmm. but. Presumably, the page that's missing is Laura saying, "My father is Bob. Bob killed me. Mm-hmm. Bob, my father is doing this to me." Because right. it's the page that, like, everything is leading up to that right. thing, right. that moment, and seemingly that's a page that Leland probably burned or hid or whatever. You know what I think is interesting is um, the way departed characters are kind of treated in this third season for example like so neither the actor who played harry truman nor um donna right came back right either one either actor for donna right right exactly um but i feel like thus far we have just kind of pretended donna never existed Mm -hmm. like there's no impact Mm -hmm. that she left but like sort of the 
ghost, if you will, of of Harry S. Truman is is constant. Like they're constantly referencing him and right. things like that, which I always think is a really interesting thing in like shows when people get written off, mm-hmm. and then we just pretend they never existed. Yeah, <laughs> which is so like yeah. dark. Well, it's like I had always like it's like the season finale of The Office. When, when like they're, they keep doing like they've got this mural or they've got these clips of like oh all these moments we all had together and it's all like the fucking new people who like were just added in <laughs> yeah, like that last yeah. season you're like what about like Rashida Jones right or right. like these people you know what about these people you know uh, what's her name the the boss lady the oh the British one no the oh. before that like the what's her the name Jan. Lady. Uh, oh, Jan. Like, why Why are these people not getting yeah. clips? They were very much a part of the series for several seasons. Right, right, right. But it's just it's just funny because, yeah. It's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, so Frank gives Harry a call um, wanting to get his opinion and kind of keep him up to date. Uh, and then finds out. And we only hear. I think this is a really effectively done phone call. Like the one set, I feel like one-sided phone calls are really tricky right. to make them sound both authentic and not boring. I and wrote, also, what like, I wrote down was great performance opposite no one. Yes, which exactly. Is uh, I think he does a tremendous work here. Mm-hmm. The, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Robert Forster? Yeah. Um. So we we glean that Harry's condition has gotten worse. And yeah, and then he opts not to tell him right. what he called him to tell him. Right. It's, don't worry about it. You focus on you. Yeah. Get yourself better. Like he's got the right priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I like it. Like the the man is just a he's a genuinely good person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Andy interrogates a local farmer regarding his truck, the same one that Richard Horn used to accidentally kill a young boy. Uh, the farmer refuses to explain who was driving the truck at the time of the incident, but arranges a meeting with Andy to explain yeah, everything. This is so weird. Yeah, I this it, it took me a second to remember even what scene this was. Yeah, I don't it's, think I connected. It's I don't think I connected that truck. Like, yeah, basically, Andy's there. They show the truck, and he's asking the guy, like, "This is your truck, though." And he's like, "Yeah, but I, I'll explain it. I've got, but doesn't give." And then Aunt. Andy trusts him enough to say, okay, I'll meet up with you again in two hours. Yeah. And then there's the scene later of Andy just standing on the side of the road. He right. never shows up. Right. Um, also, I'm pretty sure he says we'll meet over by Sparkwood and 21, which is Did the he? intersection where with the street light where right. Laura gets off the motorcycle and all this. And that is absolutely not where he is right. when he's waiting for right. him. So I don't know what. I could be mistaken about the meetup place, but mm-hmm. I feel like he mentioned that. Okay. Or maybe he was just referencing because that's where the accident took place. Is spark anyway. Um yeah, it's it's strange. I don't we don't know who this guy is. We right. don't see him again. Yeah. It's but there's the weird it this starts at there's several recurring things in this episode that I find interesting. One of them is um, this of like we get Jerry Horn at the beginning. I think someone stole my car. This uh, he's inquired like in interviewing this guy about his st- potentially stolen car that was used for an accident, and then the whole stolen car thing with Dougie and the Fusco- Fuscos later. Right, like that's things. There's several almost verbatim, if not verbatim, quotes in this episode from Firewalk with Me, mm-hmm. which. We reference one already. There's another one that comes up. I'll bring it up later. But like, 
there's just interesting callbacks in this episode of and then we'll get to the very end over the credits and what that says about theories of multiple timelines and shit like that oh god um but i think with all of these interesting callbacks to firewalk with me i find interesting Mm -hmm. anyway um so frank then (laughs) he calls doc hayward uh, and then he skypes him with like this adorable like flintstonian pop-up monitor it's so good (laughs) it's so cute um what's great is like well, I love the, like, it's almost a metaphor for all of David Lynch's, like, tech in Twin Peaks and things like this of, like, it's a little wooden log that he lifts to make this, like, super high-tech thing yeah. of a computer screen that comes up out of the desk from nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then he's still, like, one finger at a time, like, hunting, pecking mm-hmm. to type in the address. Like, it's it's so, in like super high tech functionality but like also I don't really know how to use it right like right. It's, but also but also it looks very like old tiny it's so silly I love it though yeah. and it just like pops up from out of nowhere yeah and I love that they were able to get Mark Fro- or uh, Warren Frost Warren Frost back in mm-hmm. uh, it's such it's a it's a very charming conversation yeah. Um. so so this says he's uh, fishing. I what I gleaned from that conversation is that he's retired and like this is his life now. Yeah, uh, I mean, because he, he asks he asks them several times of like how are they biting and stuff like that. But I don't know if he's actually out fishing right now. Oh, I didn't think he was fishing like that moment. Oh, but oh, yeah. just like this says he's, in this, it says he's off fishing. But I just assume he gotcha. just moved out of Twin Peaks and is living in like a rough yeah. Cabin I think somewhere. he's semi-retired because he says the like oh have you used skype and he says oh, oh yeah. i just diagnosed such and such yeah that's a good eczema point. So last week wrong. but so it seems like he's probably like pseudo retired mm-hmm. like he's still there for consultants and things mm-hmm. like that but he doesn't go into the hospital anymore sure. and all that kind of stuff um but that just stupid joke he tell like i and honestly i wonder because this is another one like Catherine Coulson where like Warren Frost was kind of on his last legs and he died shortly after that. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder if, again, this is Truman, uh, Robert Forrester acting opposite no one. And they just recorded this oh. clip and said, when we get to your part, you're going to go, you know, we'll, we'll, Back and forth. we'll work that out because I mean. Sure. It's all Skype. Like, that, that's also basically how they, how Mark Frost and David Lynch collaborated. Oh, really? Uh, they were just on Skype all the time in the creation for this. When they were writing huh. the script and all that stuff, they just did it all via Skype. Huh. Apparently, David Lynch, who's opposed to, like, technology for the most part, loves Skype. I mean, that tracks. Wait, is Dave, where does, where do they live? I assume they're both in Southern California. Um... I don't. I mean, I don't know what they were might have been working on something. Oh, I don't, sure. I don't yeah. really know, but um, so Doc recalls that he, bought, excuse me, Doc recalls he brought Cooper into the hospital because he was quote acting strange. Um, an hour later, he saw Cooper leave an intensive care, fully dressed and with a strange expression. He ponders whether Cooper was checking in on Audrey Horn, who was still comatose at the blank the bank explosion. <laughs> The blank explosion. Um, so we'll find out next week what exploded. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so this is our first time having Audrey brought up this yeah. season, and we're de- like we're seven episodes, and into we know it. she's in the cast list, right? Um, so and she's so we learned coming her at fate, some point, yeah, and we learned her fate that she didn't die in that or bank explosion, at least not right away. You know what I mean? Like she's in a coma. He was looking in on her because she was in a coma. She still might have died. We don't know. Oh, oh, you know I, mean? I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like she may not have recovered from that coma, right? Um, but it also allows you to start plugging in pieces of like, okay, well, Richard Horn is roughly a twenty, you know, two-year-old mm-hmm. kid, mm-hmm. age twenty-five. That puts him at an age. Where, okay, who would it, he's related to the horns. Who would he be? Right. He's not Ben Hornson, we assume. Yeah. With, he's not Ben Hornson, probably, because Ben Horn's a little bit old. Mm-hmm. Ben Horn had two kids, Audrey and Johnny Horn, who. With special needs. Yeah. And probably not. He probably doesn't have children. Who the fuck is Richard Horn? Mm-hmm. And we find out that. Audrey didn't die in the blast. Right. There's a good chance Audrey is mm, Richard Horns. And then you can start connecting the dots of what was fucking Cooper doing to Audrey in the ICU? Oh, no. And not Cooper, but Doppel Cooper, Mr. C or whatever, the, the bad Cooper who got out. I didn't think of that. That's very scary. Really? And I, no. Yeah, I mean, that's... Like, I mean, there's just a lot of characters. So if somebody's not physically on my screen, I probably like not there thinking was, about them I, at that like, moment. I, 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 w- there was a whole thread of things that I saw about people googling all the different things of like, can you get pregnant in a coma? I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Well, but like, can like you know, whatever. Like, can you? Are you? Can how long can you be in a coma? Can you have give birth in a coma? You know what I mean? Oh, like, all of it. Like, because uh-huh. who knows how fucking long she's in a coma? Sure. Um, but it was an interesting. But basically, the I the what they're building subtly, I think, assume. I I don't know that there's any other explanation, but Bad Cooper got out, raped Audrey, and Richard Horn is so Richard Horn is the product of Audrey and Dark Audrey Cooper. and pure fucking evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> basically, which explains. A lot. Why he's yeah. yeah, not the nicest guy. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, Lieutenant Cynthia Knox. She arrives in Buckhorn. Um. And so this is where we have our headless body. Yeah. I her interactions with Mackley are just yeah. I really like this scene a whole Every, lot. His he turns in an incredible like everything he says is like. Yeah, there's a body, all right. You know, like, yeah, like, well, we took him off the body, like, it's and she's just b- like baffled by all of it. And he's like, "Can you tell me what's going on here? Because we have a headless body, and we want to know what to do with it. Like, it's all, it's all very, very good." Um, initially treating the discovery of the prince as another by the books case, she is shocked to learn that Major Briggs' prince actually came from a body. So this is reflective of the conversation we had last week or two weeks ago about these fingerprints keep popping up places, yeah. and so they just have to see. Yes. Just look you a, have, courtesy, have a cursory look. Cursory mm-hmm. look. Um, but then we discover that 
well, we already knew, but she discovers that it's an actual body that they left we in the prince. Technically, no, I don't think, but um, so she is shocked to learn the major Brin- Okay, um, so this at this point, I feel is this the first time we've confirmed one hundred percent that this is Major Briggs' body? Well, that's what's interesting is that we confirm that the prince belonged to Major Briggs, but we don't have a head. Sure. And the body's the wrong age. Right. So, yeah, so we're, we're getting into that. it seems like it should be a slam dunk, this is Major Briggs' body, but mm-hmm. how did you get Major Briggs' body from 20-something years ago? And it looks fresh. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, and he just died a few days ago, so it's not like, yeah. So Constance Talbot um, shows her the body. She notes that it belonged to a man in his late 40s, and he's died in the last few days. Oh. Uh, Lieutenant Knox excuses herself. She calls Colonel Davis about this development, uh, who points out that Major Briggs would have to be in his 70s if he died recently. Knox informs Buckhorn... Lieutenant Knox informs the Buckhorn staff that it'll most likely not be their investigation for long. Meanwhile, a mysterious dark man walks past the morgue. Creeper. Uh, And the music that they drop behind it. Oh, boy. It is creepy shit. We're... Put a pin in him. We're going to see that boy again. Yeah. Um, and it's not the same guy, but it's a similar looking guy to the person we saw in the Bill Hastings cell. Yes. So yes, we've, that's we've right. been this introduced to these him. dark, ashy figures before. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's the woodsman who's in Fire Walk With Me in the, right. in the room above the convenience store. Um. Okay, we <laughs> we go to um, Gordon Cole's office mm-hmm. and start on uh, the shot. Starts on what did you call it? Batman corn. Yeah, that corn. Yeah, it's it looks like it's a piece of a corn, an ear of corn, corn on the cob, but it's mm-hmm. got like black, like. It looks like little bat ears and like uh-huh. little bat wings coming yeah, behind it's it. Very strange, and we get a good long look at it. Yeah, it's a, but it's some kind of dark black corn, mm-hmm. which it's weird. Is obviously Garmin Bozier related, yeah. related, related. <laughs> so we pan over uh, Gordon Cole sitting at his desk, kind of whistling tunelessly, and then Albert walks in. Supposedly, from what people have looked up, that's a Romstein song. I don't know. What that is. Romstein? It's like, I'll see if I can can maybe find the actual song. But Romstein is like a German, like, death metal band. And David Lynch loves them. Oh, weird. Yeah. Okay. So, supposedly, he's whistling a Romstein song, which I think is hilarious. That's wild. And there's... And that explains why it's not a very melodic tune. And it's, then there's... And he's doing this all with, like his speaker way up so uh-huh. he can hear himself. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the giant like mushroom cloud, yeah. which is obviously foreshadowing to sh- things we'll see in just the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Albert knocks on the door and he has to like crank the volume down because he was just yeah. listening to him. But he also is like whistling, but like has this look on his face. Like he's just like wincing in pain. I don't yeah. know. It's weird. But then he went but then he, Here's the knock, and it's so loud that he super winces. Uh-huh. It's strange. It's all very strange. Uh, so Albert walks in um, and says that he couldn't get a word out of Diane. Um, she cussed him out, and he had to leave. Uh, Gordon and Albert 
meet with Diane. Oh, so then so they go to. There's a really good exchange. In yeah, there, they kind of glossed over. I love where he says like, "Well, you're go- uh, I, I think Albert says, "I think it's your turn. You need to try to talk to her. She wouldn't give it me anything." Right. And Cole says, "Okay, but you're gonna come with me." And Albert gives him a, a ple- you know, say please. Mm-hmm. And, and Cole's like, "What? What?" And he's like, "You, you heard, heard me." And it, it genuinely makes you wonder what this relationship is. Is but like, how much does Gordon Cole hear? How much of this is a ruse to oh. or to to play coy for things and like pick up details elsewhere and whatever? Oh, interesting. Like, like, cause he says, "Oh, please would be nice" or whatever, and it's not even like what a, it's you heard me, uh-huh. and I know you heard me, uh-huh. and then he says. Please. So he absolutely heard him or can read his lips or whatever. Sure. But somehow he knows. See, to me, the thing I took away from that is like a weird peek into their dynamic as a partnership or a team or whatever. And that was kind of what I was obsessed with. Because, yeah, it's that is something that is said after a long relationship together of like, gotta say please but like you can't yeah. just you don't, don't it, just assume i'm doing this and it could be a little bit of that too it's a combination of both of those things and it's like you know i know you can hear me right like you can play you can play this game with people uh-huh. but i know how i know you can hear more than you let right on. right but he was by himself and it cranked the thing up mm-hmm. while he was whistling so like why would he do that if he yeah i bet i'm i'm sure he has hearing problems and i'm also sure that i think he, he he's it, aware of more than he lets on yes yeah. which is really clever yeah think oh about absolutely it. uh so they <clears throat> go to diane's apartment um where she is there with a younger man um i really this time around watching it i noticed there was like a huge japanese influence on Mm -hmm. diane's situation so she's wearing the kimono she has some like lightly japanese inspired stuff and her eye makeup is done in a way that to me reminds me of like when people cosplay anime Mm -hmm. and you sort of cheat your eyeliner a little bit out and then fill it in white Mm -hmm. like the the tear tear something and it makes her eyes look bigger. Yeah. And that's kind of what she had going on. And like with that with the very stylized it, She's also wig. like, it's very dark eyelashes, dark eye makeup, mm-hmm. white hair, yeah. red kimono. She's all, all I, I'm, I'm curious to, to look for it. No, because I think she wears turquoise at one point. What were you going to say? But I feel like she wears a lot of black, red, white. Oh. Um, but her colors don't, or her colors, her nails don't reflect that. They're very colorful here. They do become, at one point later, black and white. Oh, okay. Alternating black and white. All right. Um, but also the, the Japanese influence absolutely plays. Mm-hmm. For sure. Later. Um, so she just fucked a young man, which, get yours, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she, asks, she allows him to leave. Uh, Gordon explains they need Diane to go to South Dakota with them to identify the imprisoned Cooper. As they suspect something is wrong with him. And Diane reluctantly joins him. And so so we're kind of peeling back a little more of what the fuck happened to Diane. Because clearly she's and, been through something. And like she says he's in a federal prison in South Dakota. And she's like, good. Yeah. Like she's there. Whatever. There did not split amicably. Right. Their relation. 
their relationship ended for whatever reason right. and she's pissed yes. about it yes and i mean i think that sort of excessive drinking and smoking is oh i think meant to be a coping mechanism sure. and and all that stuff um and the fuck you and i being very sh- you know closed off from yes everybody. I, i'm not connecting to anybody right especially not somebody like i'm shutting out all the people of my former life and also all the new people right like, I, mean, I don't want to meet new people i right. want to fuck boy but that's fine yeah. whatever like like the tammy thing later I'm like what's your name again fuck tammy you. fuck you tammy oh, like so that's good. such a great delivery uh so we go to the the flight to south dakota it's a private jet um there's so i've i've never been able to find i didn't look that hard but i've seen lots of theories and shit about this because in the wide shot where you see the plane flying uh-huh sun bursts like reflect off the windows but in a weird pattern I that know, doesn't okay, make sense. I did notice that. And I don't know that anyone has ever come up with like an actual theory legitimate theory but it, it doesn't seem to be Morse code but there's some kind of pattern of like yeah, this it's, it, it hits window two five yeah. three, like whatever it's strange. Yeah and now I'm curious because I noticed that as But I have not well. found anything I mean, and this was a, a while ago when sure. I first looked. I haven't looked since. Oh, look at it when I um, when I edit. But it's it's strange that it hits certain windows and not other windows, and it hits in a strange yeah. order. If I, I'll tell you what, I will um, look it up while I'm editing, and if I find anything interesting, I'll post it in cool. the notes. Um. Okay, so we're on this flight. Uh, there's an exchange. This jumps right into the Tammy stuff, but at first, there's an exchange of like. Albert sneaking her a bottle of booze. A couple of them, yeah. Oh, a couple of bottles yeah, of yeah. booze. Um, and then Tammy shows Gordon and Albert her analysis of the imprisoned Cooper's prints. There's a there's a great little reveal too of like you get your your back the cameras in the back of the plane by where Gordon Cole is looking down the hallway. You see Albert walk up and talk to um um. Diane uh-huh. gives her the bottles and stuff, and then you go back to that shot of um, behind Gordon Cole, and Albert walks in the hallway and sits down next to him. And then from out of nowhere, you see Tammy like peek her head yeah. out from behind the wall. Like, you don't even know reveal. she's on the yeah. plane, which is just a funny little like bit of like, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, I'm here too. Yeah, it's it's a fun blocked scene, which we don't get a lot yeah. of like yeah. people shuffling around and like getting yeah. vis- visual kind of goofs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was it was very just kooky and and it's a little bit of a reminder too that like, oh yeah, you guys remember Tammy? Like, yeah, you yeah. know, like it's, I it was fun. I like it. Um, okay, so this is interesting. So there, the prints of Mr. C are a match to Cooper. But someone at the prison had to reverse the prints to get it. So that's at least Albert's theory. Yes. And then there was it looked like there was one specifically that like was an overlay. The, so they talk about it's so he he okay, so yeah, so they're saying out. something's up with these with these fingerprints and they kind of mention it, so they're sort of in talking a little bit, like, okay, well, that explains, you know, th- this one's backwards, and Gordon says Which something about... Which is the about left ring finger. The... Yes. Um, and 
Gordon mentions something about Rev. How does he say it? Rev. Rev. Y R E V. Urev. Urev. Um. And so. So he says and that refers to it as the backwards word. Urev, mm-hmm. the backwards word. What does this all mean? Tammy, you've been doing excellent work, passing one test after another. Put out your hands. Flip them over. I'm very, very happy to see you again, old friend. This is the spiritual mound, the spiritual finger. You think about that, Tammy. So, I God, I think it's really interesting that I feel like this is the first time we've heard somebody reference that people talk backwards or talk oddly. Mm-hmm. No, wait. Maybe the first time Cooper described of- his dream. He did he say oh, that's, strange that's a good point. the man talks strangely yeah. or something? Yeah. Uh anyway. What uh, I what I love Okay, go ahead. It's just it's just interesting. This is the first time we've heard the characters talk mm-hmm. about backwards speak. And it's it's a little tiny bit breaking the fourth wall for me, which and I think is cool. I think even I think it's even more than a tiny because I think like I think this is a direct reference to the super this is this is like a little Easter egg for super fans who watched the previous episode where he says Rev uh-huh. and he knows there's going to be a few more hours, a few more weeks uh-huh. before we get to this scene. Uh-huh. I know people are going to be talking about this online and be like, did you guys notice that right. this word was said backwards and then go into all these theories and uh-huh. they're going to be researching it and trying to figure out what it means and why he said it. And then he just refers to the backwards word, mm-hmm. assuming you picked up on it. Right. Because it's subtle. And yeah. it's very easy to not pick up on it at all. But he knows, yeah, everyone's going to, like, people are going to pick up on this. And it's going to be talked about for a few weeks right. before I give you this next bit. Right. And then he's, like, acknowledging, like, yeah, yeah, you know how you thought you were clever because you picked up on this thing uh-huh. and tried to sneak by you? I absolutely wasn't trying to sneak it by you. <laughs> it was blatantly obvious. Good job, nerds. And I'm going to reference it directly right. in a couple episodes from now. I love that. Right. I love it. And so he kind of explains it to Tammy by asking her to um, hold out her hands Um and does it's very very good to see you again old friend on each of her fingers mm-hmm. and the right ring finger left left ring oh yeah because i'm looking at my own hands and he would have been looking at different hands oh which that's the the reason you wear your wedding rings on your left ring is because it's this the the or the the vein supposedly goes directly to your heart did you learn that from me Oh. Like, it's in a bunch of, like, wedding vows and stuff. People are always talking Oh, about I it. used it in the wedding, in um, when I officiated a wedding, I used oh, yeah. that. I've, so I I've, assume I've you heard, were just telling no, me information back of, to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's that's the idea, is that that vein goes directly to your heart, which is why rings are worn on that finger, which is also... Is this, like, the um, Dougie is a metaphor for white male privilege thing all over again, that we both think that we introduced that thought? <laughs> I... I filmed hundred like hundreds, hundreds of weddings, thousands of weddings. I, every every wedding goes through me. Yeah, it's they have to exhausting. run their script. Exhausting. It's been much no, easier I've during been quarantine. To a lot, a lot, a lot of weddings. Mikey that, used to film yeah. weddings. Um. Anyway, I'm just a, a great matchmaker, so I just go to a lot of weddings. <laughs> He's been the Some, best man yeah, fourteen boom, boom, times. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so we get to the prison um, where she meets the doppelganger, and it's the... It, it, she... It, Diane. What? Diane. No, I was going to say it. The situate the room that they're in remind made me. Think. You just you just jumped to she meets the doppelganger and we didn't oh. context and I was just oh oh to I see yes so Diana they all arrive at the pr- prison Diane right. meets um, with Mister C that's when you get the exchange with Tammy of like what's your name again Tammy fuck, fuck you, you Tammy She's on the yeah. Way. yeah um and the whole scene makes me think a lot of Silence of the Lambs for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, not for some reason. He's behind glass. It's a straight ahead sure. shot. Like it's pretty. Um, but it, that fucking like bulletproof wall or whatever. It's so eerie. And she has to be alone with him. Mm-hmm. And that's Mr. C's demand or her demand that she sees him. I think no, she, she, she said, said I, she says I it on the on the walk up. Yeah, like this is how it's going to be. No more than ten minutes. And I, if I want to call it, I'm going to call it. And that's when Cole gives the thing about like. You control the curtain and you control the microphone. You know, it's 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 Cole saying, "I we genuinely appreciate you doing yeah. this. You can do however you need to do it. Mm-hmm. You, that's how you do it." Right. So yeah. Um, also interesting tidbit that counsel is was also used in Mulholland Drive. That like with all the buttons and the microphone and all that oh. stuff. That same soundboard council oh, really? was used in Mulholland oh, Drive. Um, so she seems to pretty quickly deduce that it's not Cooper. Something is something yeah. is off. Yes, something's wrong. So she asks if he remembers the last night they saw each other, um, and the doppelganger says that it was at her house, which appears to be correct. And he's still doing that. Oh my god. It's he's only speaking in that room. like a nightmare. It's only in that room, so I, something about I don't know if it's just because it's traveling through electronics or mm-hmm. whatever, like through a microphone and a speaker and whatnot, that it sounds funny, but mm-hmm. it's it's super strange. Yeah. Um, so as soon as she realizes that something is wrong, she becomes emotional. She ends up shutting down the meeting pretty quickly. On their way out, uh, Gordon tells Warden Murphy to keep Cooper in prison until he hears from the FBI. So, before we leave that room, this is the other part I was referencing earlier where I, that's a direct direct lines from Firewalk With Me. When she says oh. at the end of it, um, uh, who are you? Who are you? Look at me. Who are you? Is when Laura is has, it's changing back and forth from Bob to Leland on oh, top uh-huh. of her. She oh. grabs him on the face and says, who are you? Who are you? Look at me. Who are you? Mm-hmm. And she says the exact same thing to him. Who are you? 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 I don't know what you Look at me. Look at me. Which I think is really interesting. I never would have picked that up. Yeah, 
I it's and it's the same thing of like this guy did something to her. Mm-hmm. It's about this weird mask that this person has on because mm-hmm. the real person is there somewhere maybe, but there's this person's wearing a mask just like the mask that was created. Like, have we talked about the fact that I don't think Mister C blinks? I don't, I don't think we have, but I think you're right. I don't think he does. And I only started paying attention. Like, I know. Because I had been noticing, like, obviously he's got those dark contacts in. Yeah. It but seems like you'd want to blink a lot. <laughs> right. And there's something. And I've been trying to put my finger on, like, what it is that makes him so deeply different from, like, Dale Cooper or Dougie. Um, and I think it is A, that he doesn't blink, and B, and I don't know if this is true, but from what I could see, his eyes never really, like, flicker around. Mm. Like, if you're talking to somebody, you sort of look around the, you know, you mm. make eye contact, but you also he's sort of glance. He's zoned in on what he's doing all the time. Yeah, that's and he, fair. The only time I noticed his eyes move at all is he's actually, like, moving his head, mm-hmm. but his eyes are still locked on the person. Like, he doesn't know how to control this vessel. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But but yeah, that was something I because it's it like his performance is so striking to me, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of it has to do with eye contact and and the way he like uses it, his eyes. it feels like it's like if you're looking through binoculars, you can't turn your eyes. Oh, you're, like he has no peripheral vision. You're using a device to look. He's sure. using this body's eyes to look uh-huh. he has to kind of turn him his whole interesting thing because you can't just like side eye through binoculars yeah. you have to turn your whole head yeah to see it's all right i'm gonna pay attention next week to see if because i'm not like 90 percent sure that he doesn't blink i'm i would 50 percent sure that he never like looks around yeah i would bet even if he does blink he probably blinks really really slowly oh yeah yeah <laughs> all right um. So on her way out, excuse me, on their way out, on their way out, Gordon tells Warden Murphy to keep Cooper. Oh, we did that already. That does to. that doesn't feel strictly above board. He tells him to keep Mister C imprisoned until he hears from the FBI. I'm curious about the legality of this. Like, they're just hold. Like, what are they holding? They're holding him, thinking that he's because they found all that Co- shit in his trunk. But was any of it expressly, like, federally illegal? I don't remember. He's, I mean... Like, because federal prison is no yeah. fucking joke. Like, you go to jail for... Oh, we found something suspicious in your trunk. You go to prison when you're, you've yeah, been sentenced know. for a federal crime. I don't know. Um, but, like, I mean, there was, yeah, weapons and severed dog legs and... No, I'm not saying that he's not might, shady as fuck. It may have fuck. crossed state lines or something, mm, you know? That's a good point. But it just doesn't feel entirely above board to be like, uh, hold on to this guy until we figure yeah. it out. And not that people don't do that all the time constantly. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, outside the prison, um, Diane got her acting. Diane's acting is... Laura Dern is a fucking goddess. She's so good. Um, she So Diane tells Gordon that there's something missing from Cooper. Um, from Mr. C that makes her certain that this isn't Dale Cooper, the one that she knew. Um, and she says something about there's something not it's, there. It's something not there. Um, and she's and kind of touching, touching her, her chest. heart. Yeah, heart. Um, 
Gordon asked her what happened when she and Cooper last met, which she states she will tell him about some other time. The doppelganger is led back to his cell. It's a great little moment, too, of, like, Cole doing, I I want to get, is there something I need to know? Uh-huh. But, like, also in a way that's not just, like, for the case. It's, uh-huh. like, he there's genuine concern. He wants to take care of her. Like, can I help you with anything? Sure. Is there, and it's a sweet, and she she acknowledges in in such a way where she's not ready to tell him mm-hmm. but acknowledges that this man is reaching out to try to help and it it feels like a very realistic thing to happen yeah. that we don't see happen a lot on yeah. sh- on shows for obvious like economy of storytelling mm-hmm. purposes what happened here's what happened but in real life like if you and I are in a business meeting and you notice I'm troubled and you ask me what happened I'm probably gonna be like not now. <laughs> yeah. It, I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. And we'll talk about it later. I'm, you know, not now. Not right. in the middle of this parking lot. Right. We don't have we don't have time to because if we get into it now, then we have to cut a couple of minutes out of the floor sweeping scene or something like that later. And that all needs to be there. So it's just the rhythm of the story. Exactly. Um <laughs> I was just thinking of- if this is like an Aaron Sorkin movie and everybody's talking real fast and really sharp and then there's a five minute scene of somebody just straight up sweeping a floor in real time. I like that idea. Um, <clears throat> so the, uh, Mr. C is led back to his cell um, and he tells a guard to tell Warden Murphy that he needs a meeting with him in his office and he tell he asks him to tell him it's about a strawberry, which is Mr. Strawberry was the person he... the was referenced. The was name referenced. Was referenced. Yeah. And remember, we saw the um, him react. To him it. react yeah. to Mr. Strawberry uh, when uh, Dark Cooper was making a phone call. Um. All right, we're back to Andy, who's standing on the side of the road for seven to nine minutes. Uh, which there was another thing that uh, I mean, he was standing like they made the the meeting was supposed to be at four thirty, and it's like five oh five now. Um. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly been there a while. Um, there was a lot of talk when this first came out of is Andy on the take? Oh, because he is wearing a Rolex and seemingly a sheriff's deputy. Oh, in a small town can't afford a Rolex. Oh, no, and but it was yeah, it was it was a discussion. It, why is he wearing a Rolex? How did he get a Rolex? Why is Andy even seem like the type of person who would want a Rolex? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And they give it a full close-up, and obviously you're supposed to be looking at the time. Uh-huh. I just noticed thing, it was the 10th for some reason. That was the thing I noticed. Yeah, but it's it's straight up a Rolex. So, hmm. All right, so we're back in that prison. Mr. C meets with Warden Murphy. Um, so he walks into his office, and the first thing I noticed is behind his desk, above his head, is a big security camera. Yeah. Um, and he notes immediately. I've turned him off. Everything's off. Yeah. We're here alone. And then he pulls out a gun. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say low key, but high key threatens him. And Mr. C doesn't flinch. Not at all. Like, isn't taken aback by. Like, no. this is all like, yeah, I expected every step of this. Right. Like, yeah. Um. So the so Mr. C informs him about the dog legs. One yeah. was in his trunk. The other three were sent out to people who could pose a threat to Warden Murphy if anything bad were to happen to Mr. C. 
Um, when Murphy asks how Mr. C knows about this, he names Joe McCluskey. Murphy immediately puts down the gun and asks what he wants. Now, is Joe McCluskey a name I should recognize? I don't. I don't think we ever. I think it's. I think it's just a subtle way of saying we need him to prove. We need Mr. C to prove to him really quickly. Yeah. Say a name. Mm-hmm. Have him react. Done. Okay. I don't. I don't think we ever see Joe McCluskey. Mm-hmm. I don't think I like it doesn't ring a bell to me mm-hmm. I don't even think we meet anybody named Joe <laughs> with no last name you know what I mean that yeah. could be this guy sure I don't think it's it's connected I think it's just a fast way to say he gets it yeah I think the bigger thing that you get out of this scene is that this guy Defo killed a dog I'm pretty sure that dog is Mr. Strawberry oh yeah like it's loose but the way he talks about it oh i don't think it's even loose i think it's pretty clear like they don't say the words that dog i killed was mr strawberry presumably your your family dog mr strawberry and because i was able to get this dog it means i know where you live Mm. Uh, you know like there's there's more implications yeah but um but we've also talked about it before that that it's the dog is mr strawberry yes yes we have but this is confirmation of that um Murphy puts down the gun, asks him what he wants. Uh, Mr. C uh, requests a car for himself and Ray Monroe with, quote, a friend in the glove compartment for that night, like 1 a.m. or 1.30. Yeah. Um, He tells Warden Murphy that... I I actually really liked this little bit. He tells Warden Murphy that he'll never see him again and no one will ever hear anything more about Joe McCluskey or Mr. Strawberry. I really liked this resolution of not... I mean, obviously there is, you know, the sword hanging over his head because those three dog legs are out there somewhere Mm -hmm. to potentially dangerous people. But I liked that Mr. C was very, like, he's not as much an agent of chaos, I think, because he's, like, almost reassuring him, like, I don't care about you. I'm not coming back for you. I'm putting into effect a series of motions that are going to get me to what I want. Right. And you're, I do not care about you, sir. Like, you are not interesting or important to me. Right. Um, I don't know why. I, I thought that was a clever piece of writing that it just makes him like but it's also it's it's different because of like some of the stuff of like the guy he kills at the who stores the mercedes for him where he squishes his face oh like he was done with him kill him Mm -hmm. done with daria killer yeah done like he's got no problems just being like i'm done with you boom you're dead you've served your purpose why did he give this guy an out I don't know. I mean, maybe just it's a lot easier to kill a criminal who's probably someone off the grid sure. than a prominent I, person he, in the police he, department. This is clearly a guy who's not worried about being caught by the law. No, but I also wonder if he is doing the most economical choice for himself at all times. Like he, it, My theory on him yeah. is that he is like completely goal-driven and whatever it takes for him to get whatever his goal is, he'll do. And if that means mm-hmm. killing a mm-hmm. woman in a hotel room, and because the likelihood of getting caught for that is pretty low, versus killing a high-ranking member of the prison where he was captured, would definitely yeah. send up some flags and send people looking for him. Sure. That would be my thought, is yeah, that he's no, just very fair. like, yeah. he's not a chaos agent, like I said. Like, he's not mm-hmm. trying to cause destruction. He's just trying to get where he's going. And if you're in his way, I'll run you over. Right. I won't 
I'm not going to take joy in it. I'm not going to turn back and make sure you're dead. But like, I need you not in my way right now. Sure. Um. So Janie E is standing outside the office, staring at that same statue we've seen twelve thousand times. I don't know that she's staring at it. She's just in that circle drive, and they're just showing that statue to give oh, are us, they? to give us the location. We know that that's his office. I think she's just standing in the circle drive waiting, looking at the doors, waiting for him. Sure. She assumed at the end of his workday he would come out for a ride. Oh, I see. So as uh, Janie E is waiting outside his office, Cooper is sitting in his, in his office at his desk doing the same thing where he's scribbling and this is the first time I noticed he holds, um, he holds a pencil like a toddler. Yeah. Just just in his fist. Yeah. Um, and he's still scribbling he's, nonsense. He's not even on the page anymore. He's, no, he's, he's on, on like the like letter pad. Like th- is that what that's called? Letter I pad. I don't, I don't know if that's what they're called, but those little like padded. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Anthony Sinclair, who we deduced last week, is not subtly trying to figure out what. Wait, what are you guys? What are you talking? Because I saw you. You're talking to Bushnell, and you had you had all those cases. What were you talking about? What, are you, what, what kind of things you're talking about? What are you ta- Very and subtle. like Dougie just is not even acknowledging that he's in the room. And like, of course, he thinks about like he thinks he's playing mind game. Dougie's yeah. played mind games with him, like, uh, but no, it's, he's just it's great, oblivious. Um, so then a group of three, det- <laughs> a woman, presumably a secretary or something. Yeah, this is the woman earlier who like led him to the bathroom and the other uh, guy at the board meeting like quote unquote board meeting <laughs> uh, was like hitting on her oh oh, oh oh yeah so she says there's cops here to see him and then like gestures like come with me and he she, she says there's cops and that's when anthony sinclair is like oh that reminds me i just remembered a, i got a phone call i had to make i got i gotta go and like runs out like <laughs> like like just the worst at, like the worst at trying to cover oh it's like, so bad he's a terrible which nobody criminal. would have noticed if he just slipped out of the room but of course he's like oh, 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 oh you got oh, this oh, stuff oh, going on so. okay that makes sense i'll i'll, I'll get going um I let just me know if you need me for anything call. yeah, yeah. <sighs> so good but yeah it, like you're what you were about to say where she gestures like come here and he does the same thing right back and it, she's like oh you want them to come in here <laughs> It's so good. And then they come in, and I love that they introduce them. Uh, Keckner introduces them as Detectives F- Fusco. Like, because they're all brothers. Oh, they're all yeah. the Fusco. So he just says Detectives Fusco. That's funny. Which I think is hilarious. That's really good. I also, that's one of those things that um, I learned about as an adult and then suddenly got a bunch of jokes in hindsight in shows. It's obviously easier to keep all, like a sitcom, it's easier to keep all the action in the same room instead of like setting up for a different location. Oh, sure. So if there's three of us in here and you and I have to yeah. talk, let's, but we're at- Let's run it four times from this angle. Let's run it four more times right. from this angle. Yeah. But then also they, that means like if we're at, if you and I are at somebody else's house and in this show you and I have to talk, we would ask the person whose house it is to leave yeah. instead of- can I grab you? Let's go in the hallway or something like that. Same, and like, that seems like the same way in like sitcoms, like a, it'll be like saved by the bell or something like that. They'll be in the like kid's bedroom 
and the person will like come over and like knock on the door, but they knock on the bedroom door. Like, how did you get in? Or they the come house? in through the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that. They, they always just <laughs> knock on the door as as though it's like your connection to the outside because we don't see the rest of the house. The rest of the house doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, so this group of detectives comes in to ask him about um, uh, about his car. So Dougie's car. As Janie E. comes in to retrieve him. And, like, once again, Janie just E. sweeps in. Takes the reins. Oh, my I got God. this. Yeah. And just, oh, my God. I want to write a thesis about how Janie E. just straight up hates all men. And that's why she's so aggressive to all men in her path. And then I want to use that as a blueprint for my life. But, like, <laughs> it, I think, like. She's just constantly on the defensive. Constantly, constantly. But, like, not in a way that's. But, like, her defense mechanism isn't to, like, pull back like a lot of people. Yeah. It's, I'm on. She's stating her ground. Yeah, like, no. Like, just assu- assumes these guys are here to cause a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so she basically speaks for Dougie the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, tec- the detective, <laughs> I really liked this scene a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, I just like people, like, giving detectives shit like and they're so well, confused by everything that's like i love they all have notebooks i love out. when they all pour, pull like she says something and they all pull their they little notebooks out, out but like then they just sit there with like a pen in one hand and a notebook in the other like looking at the notebook and back up at them like i don't even know what to write yeah what the fuck is going happening? on here who are you i came to ask this guy why we found his car blown right. up what is going who are you what's this and then there's uh, who's this other guy in the corner oh i'm i'm the owner of the fucking like <laughs> he just what the fuck in. is happening and they're like i just wanted to tell you we found your car blown up why who are you can, when's what the last time you ma- saw your car yeah, what can you give us any information and they're just standing there like so confused by all of it and I really like the bit about like, well, it, the explosion uh, involved some people of a well-known car theft ring. And she goes, well, there you go. Like, <laughs> like she's yeah. so mad. Like, they're obviously just like putting the pieces together, making sure everything's above board. And, but just her derision of like, and you're talking to us, even though the people who blew up the car were car thieves. Yeah. Do you, do you need me to do this for and, you? And the best is that it works because you get... The David Keckner Fusco. I, they all, one of them is Smiley. The guy in the back is Smiley. Uh-huh. And I don't remember the other two names, but the David Keckner one. And I don't know the other actor. I, he, him I didn't recognize. Um, but but he, sa- he says, like, well, we're going to need you to come fill out some paperwork. And the other guy's just like, oh, but you can do that on your own time. <laughs> it's fine. Just, like, come down one day and we'll get it taken care of. Like, so, like, I don't. You're going to yell at us again, and I don't want you to. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. Meeting over. Did you report your car as a stolen vehicle? No, he did not report it stolen. I would know. His car went missing. We haven't seen it. Isn't that your department? Yes, it is, once it's reported as missing. Well, I guess this is as good a time as any. He doesn't know where the car is. He hasn't seen it in a few days. So, yes. There's a very strong possibility that it was stolen. Stolen. All right then, Mr. Jones. Where did you last leave your car? Well, if we knew that, we'd know where to find it, wouldn't we? Can you describe your vehicle, please? Ah, it's a terrible car. Always in the shop. 
Silver, four-door, cheap Ford. The kind they call down at that dealer a previously owned car. So Janie, Ian, uh, and Dougie are leaving the building, <laughs> uh, and she's telling him that she settled their gambling debt, and she says that the rest of, like, he, he needs to stop, like, gambling money. Mm-hmm. We're going to use the rest of that money towards Sunny Jim and, and our future, I think. Also, and I'm this sorry. scene is over, right? <laughs> Nothing else happens. In backtrack, she once again yelled about her terrible cars. Which oh, yeah. I'm only going to describe cars as terrible. Like, I just like, think it's such the, a good the best description. Is that, like, she doesn't even consider that that's utterly unhelpful. Like, they <laughs> what kind of car did you drive? Like, oh, well, a we found this. What ca- like, oh, so you're reporting your car stolen right now? Okay, what kind of car it is? It's a terrible car. It's a terrible <laughs> car that we can't even afford. And it's nothing. Like, that's not helpful, lady. <laughs> So good. Nevertheless, lady. Oh, it's so. Or when she, when they're like, she, and she. I feel like, again, I assume Mark Frost had like his finger on the on the scale a little bit here because she's like, she's like, isn't this your job to look for lost <laughs> shit? He's like, well, you have to report it still. And she's like, well, I'm reporting it now. <laughs> like this is as good a time as any. And you already found it. So yeah. what the fuck is the problem here? <laughs> Where, which it's so funny because like if you take one step back, like. These are all, of course they have to go talk to the guy whose yeah. car was stolen, yeah. but like her just This is step fury. one. What, this thing happened. We found this car, dead bodies, car blown up. All right. Well, we got the license plate. We know whose car it is. Let's start there. <laughs> like they don't come in like, tri- they don't pull him in for questions. They're they not just, aggressive. They just straight up like, we need, to, we need to ask you a few questions. Yeah. But just everybody who steps to Janie E gets fucking leveled. And it, But it also... Because she's so forceful, makes it that much more believable that the Dougie she was married to is a complete submissive. Who is just kind of like, okay, okay, and then runs off and sleeps around and does whatever because it's his only way to be, you know, to satisfy his personal urges or whatever. (laughs) And at home, he's just this like... He doesn't talk he's, much. He's meek. He's yeah, he's submissive. Because, because she's such a dominating character. Yeah. Um, be weird being married to a really domineering woman, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Probably sounds terrible, huh? Mm-hmm. 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 Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> terrible cars. <laughs> uh, so as they're yeah, walking out, we see Ike the Spike like dart out of the crowd. Yeah, gun drawn. So he lost his titular spike, so he was forced yeah. to use a gun like a plebe. Yeah, um, I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, duh. Well, it's one of the. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't even think about the fact that like, why didn't he attack him with the spike? Oh yeah, he broke he the spike. Now he spike. has to use a gun. It's one of those. And it, and and therefore failed. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned this a few times and I, I'm really into true crime and once in a while I'll re- like there's certain serial killers that I find really interesting and there's certain ones and I'm like he's a fucking gun he didn't even care about it like the, like Son of Sam is one Eileen Wernos is another mm-hmm. that they both use guns as their primary weapons I'm like there's no art in that if you're gonna murder somebody least, get up like, in their Eileen business Wernos or whatever had like motive not toward the end. Really? She was just robbing them at the end. Really? Like the first couple she killed because she was... Like it was or an says, accident or whatever. Well, or not an accident, but like... Because well, she was a sex worker. Yeah. And then if something... At one point, something went too far and she shot him. Yeah. And was... In my in my head canon was like, 
I feel fine about that choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's okay. This is a justifiable homicide right. to at least some extent. But it's just been like I didn't realize it got it, to be just playful. <laughs> well, not playful. I mean, it was robbery. Like by the end, it was robbery, and also a general dislike for men, which. Who among us? I mean, that's exact. Yeah, entirely relatable. <laughs> okay, so Ike the Spike pops out with his gun. Um, Cooper like goes from yeah pushes Janie E aside, shoves like, just yeah just like hand to chest, one solid Hard push, shove. and so and goes right after. Like he doesn't wait for Ike to come up to him. No, he goes after him. Yeah, and it's really interesting because it works. This. <sighs> You know how I feel about the character of Dougie, but the last six episodes of like him being absolutely useless pays off the moment that he fucking shoves his wife out of danger and just fucking takes Ike the Spike out. I just had a thought now. Okay. So this is right. not formed at all, which we like to do here in Cooper Dooper. It's mostly me. Um, <laughs> I like to do here in Cooper no, Dooper. Fuck I'm, you. I'm wondering if... When he stares at that statue, if he's seeing the future in some way. So he knew Ike the Spike was going to come at him with a gun. You know what I mean? Like, like he, the, yeah. because it happens in the same location, right outside the building. Sure. He s- stares at this statue of a man with a gun, and then all of a sudden a man with a gun comes at him, and he knows exactly what to do. Okay. All right. That's compelling. And and obviously there's the subconscious training that kicks in that- Sure. It's reassurance that there is the real Cooper in here somewhere. Right. Yeah. The instincts are. Yeah. His... There's still that, you know, we get those glimpses of subconscious mm-hmm. of, you know, he recognizes Sycamore Lane or whatever yeah. in this moment, obviously. But I wonder if there's any correlation to this, the, the gun being drawn at the statue. I'd be interested to go back and see if Ike is holding the gun in his left hand or his right hand. I I assume right, but I did not take note. I we can I'll make a note the next time we see it's. What's happening here? I'm just trying to because he has a bandage on his hand because the piece of his hand that came off in the gun with this squeezer oh. hand off. Um, I'm gonna find a picture and find out which hand it is because the statue's holding. Um, is it lefty? Lefty, yeah. Okay. Lefty, tighty, righty, righty. <laughs> Don't want me to tell that story while you search. Um, do you know that story? Uh, let's see if I do. I think I do. So back. Okay, he's holding in his right hand. In his right hand. Okay, tell the lefty, righty, righty, righty. lefty, tighty, righty, righty. So <laughs> we. It's like it's become such an in joke and yeah. like part of our lives that I really have a hard time remembering that the real thing we... is righty, tighty, lefty, Lucy. Yeah, we joke because me and. A bunch of my friends. I had a, basically. I was the kid with who was really big into like pop, like not pop, but like '90s skate punk. And all of my friends were in bands, and I had no musical ability whatsoever. So I followed them all around and took pictures and shot video and things like that. But all my friends were in bands, so like we'd all hang out at the Jinx Pack apartment, which was one band, or the 15 Minutes Late place and whatever. Like we'd hang out at these friends bands like garbage apartments yeah just garbage apartments where there'd be apparently you know, they a used, two bedroom apartment that was housing five people they used to eat 
tomato sauce sam or spaghetti sauce sandwiches. Yeah, well, yeah, those when the Jinx Pet guys first got to Chicago, they lived on the super fucking cheap. Yeah, uh, like they were absolutely poor. Yeah, and like they had they scraped up enough money to like pay their rent, mm-hmm. and then they had like inflatable furniture. And <laughs> we used to play a game called sock, which was a sock wrapped in duct tape and a titanium rod from a bike. And it was like a weird baseball mashup. We'd throw the sock and you hit the, mm. the sock. and Yeah, I did that when points. I was a child, not when I was a grown man. You had to, you had to yeah, make things happen. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, we were all hanging out in one of those nights. Like it wasn't a party, but it was just we were all hanging out one night and people were drinking and whatever. And this one guy, Jay, got really, really drunk. And something broke on the balcony. I don't remember what. Uh, sure, please. Um, something broke on the balcony. And so he went out there and and Matt was trying to fix it. And he was unscrewing something or screwing something in to try to repair whatever it was that broke. And then something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But Jay, so Jay says to him like, no, you're doing it wrong. It's lefty tighty righty righty. And he's like, what? What? <laughs> and he's like, that's how you know which way to turn it. Lefty, tighty, righty, righty. And he's like, take a step back, dude. Listen to yourself. I, uh, lefty, tighty, righty, righty. And he's like, lefty, tighty. Then you're just saying right. <laughs> like you're not making And he was like, fuck you, man. It's, that, it's how you know how to do it. I don't understand the problem. Um... I like that story so much. Yeah. I'm sorry. I topped off Mikey's wine and gave oh, you Jesus. a generous pour. That's on That's me. That's a great troop pour there. I, I know. <laughs> um, anyway, lefty tidy righty righty is a thing that we say all the time now. Oh, it's... <laughs> Should we call this episode Lefty Tidy Righty Righty? Yeah, that's what people want is in jokes yeah. from people they don't know as their title. Really gives them an idea of what okay, the show's about. Okay, okay. Squeeze his hand off. <laughs> so creepy. Like, I don't like the brain. The evolution of the arm. Okay, so wait, wait, let's jump back in. So, so Cooper, like, fucks up Ike the Spike. He he grabs his arm. He's chopping him in the neck, like, a chop, bunch chop, of chop, times. Chop, 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 chop. Sometimes Mikey chops me if I'm invading his space. Our marriage is stupid. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, God. Sorry. I don't know why I made myself laugh so hard. Um, so he so he gets Ike down on the ground, um, and then he karate chops Ike's neck. And uh, Janie E. chokes. Oh, I didn't realize she was in there. She. I don't think I ever saw her in there, but when she explains it later, she says she is. Yeah, I don't think it's so weird. either. I'm going to rewatch that scene when I, when I edit, but I don't remember. I thought yeah. she was out of the picture but he gets his hand pinned to the ground mm-hmm. and, and then, then that's when the little evolution of the arm which looks like pops out of the ground or is just because it it doesn't overlay like mike does when he sees mike no it it was just the figure was in there it was like a roger rabbit situation yeah. that like it was the the world and then this like random animated thing so it wasn't, yeah, you're right. It, I, I didn't make that comparison, but it wasn't the way we've seen into the red room before, mm. where it's, it's an overlay and Cooper is very, um, like, and 
And stoic, what's blank. interesting is it says, squeeze his hand off. Don't like it. But I'm pretty sure it says it forwards. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. Instead of backwards reversed. Huh. Which I find interesting. Um, so Cooper... Also, uh, another thing is we find... Remember when they search Bill Hastings' trunk and they find that little piece of skin? Who's Bill Hastings again? The um, Matthew Lillard character. Oh! oh! That never gets addressed. What is that little piece Do of skin? Do we see Matthew Lillard again? Uh, yes. That feels like we watched that a century ago. Yeah. Like, as right. soon as you said Matthew Lillard, I was like, fuck yeah, me, Matthew Lillard's in he's, this. He's back. Um, but it's... Because it's just a weird random piece of flesh, it seems like, in his trunk. And then that's what they seem to peel off the gun to here, too. Yeah. And oh, I, I, and I, I always it. correlated those two things, but I don't, I don't know why. I don't think they're actually connected in any way. The timeline doesn't seem to work out. It doesn't. Yeah, Nor it, does the location. It doesn't seem like it's the same piece of skin. It right. just is a weird thing. So... The Matthew Lillard stuff. I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna say this out loud because hopefully this will help other people who might similarly be confused, um, as I constantly am. So the Matthew Lillard stuff took place in South Dakota, correct? And so that's where we found. I just I, honestly, I just want to kind of like go through a quick, quick, quick timeline, yeah. just because uh, I assume everyone's as confused. As people I am have time. done deep dives into not only location but like trying to put this in an in a in an chronological actual timeline order, because yeah. i think there are things that like we've already seen that don't actually take place until much later right i think that happens in this um it's like pulp fictiony like that right so matthew lillard was arrested because they found a body in an apartment building and it was now we know Major Briggs' body mm-hmm. and Ruth, Ruth Davenport's, Davenport's head. head. I remembered a name. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, and so and, that and his fingerprints were and his all, all over, over her, the place. all over Ruth's. And apartment. he says he doesn't remember being there, but he had a dream that he was there. Right. Okay, so all of that happened south of Dakota. Now maybe in theory, somehow this piece of flesh ended up in his trunk, or it's yeah, just something else. I don't think it's the same piece of flesh i just find it weird that it it what is that piece of flesh from we don't ever find out Mm -hmm. but i mean it could be from sawing off the head of a body you know what i mean it could be anything but it's just they the way they peel it off and like hold it up and drop it in the evidence bag it feels like the same thing it feels like a look at it yeah it's just strange to me i don't i don't think it's directly connected i think it's just a, a random little piece of flesh that I think I don't know. You know what would be an interesting exercise if you had the time or the inclination? Burpees. It, what? Birdies? Burpees. Oh, burpees. burpees. <laughs> I, I think I get that's it. an interesting exercise. Do you? No. Have you ever done a burpee? <laughs> maybe, maybe like one. <laughs> the first I, time, like if if I drink a lot of carbonated beverages, <laughs> a lot of burpees. Boo. <laughs> Um, <laughs> fuck. Okay, so, um, oh, interesting exercise. Sorry, your dumb joke got me off track. What? Um, an interesting exercise would be either in just season three or all through Twin Peaks, when, like, if you do a rewatch, write every 
question that you have that's like sort of seems to be teeing up a mystery and see if any of the like see how many of them paid off and see how many of them Mm. are just loose at the end so like for example in this it'd be like you know in episode one or two like whose skin is that and now like oh maybe we can connect it but like like you said, the oh, Joe. They, they mentioned Joe McCluskey. Who is? Does that? that ever come up? Nope, doesn't come back. I think that'd be kind Who of an interesting guy that Andy's supposed to meet. Nope, doesn't matter. I think that'd be a really yeah. interesting exercise just to see like mm-hmm. how much of this is because there's some. I'm thinking of um, like it's, yeah. it's, it's funny that like because those happen in the original Twin Peaks series of who is that man in the woods watching? Right, like. Never pays off, right? No, we don't know. We don't doesn't. We don't find out. But no one criticizes that. Yeah. Lost opens a bajillion fucking questions that it doesn't answer, and everyone's like, "This is fucking bullshit." Yeah. You didn't answer anything. Yeah. You got to open a million questions. Like, why doesn't Twin Peaks get that fucking like criticism? Well, that the law lo- that Lost does for not answering fucking. Oh, anything. I can guarantee you why. Because Twin Peaks is good and Lost is bad. Yes, and. <laughs> um, no, that Twin Peaks got canceled after season two. And so, in theory. Oh, we were going to answer Exactly. That. Which yeah, that's fair. I bet they wouldn't have. And, oh, we'll, for sure. and we know that but, because this is a bottle But that's season. a thing that like Lynch liked doing was. Leaving trails for himself. Yeah, and so like I can pick this up later if I want to. But it, it just brings to mind the idea of. It makes me think it almost is like David Lynch writes an episode and then they shoot the episode and then he writes the next episode and then he shoots the next episode, which is probably true for a lot of Twin Peaks the original. But mm-hmm. this, like, they for sure real. locked yeah. and loaded this script before they started shooting. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, well, maybe I'll come back to this sure. later. Normally, if you're a writer, you go back and go, oh, I mentioned that because I thought maybe this is going to happen. Think, now it's dead weight. I think because most people care about condensing their work yeah. David Lynch does not I think there's a real like I think there's a realism that he strives for mm. where not everything means something not everything means something or like if if this world that I created is a reality you're eventually from time to time gonna mention characters you don't know sure you don't meet like we don't like if if I wanted to Take Warden Murphy and make an entire spinoff of him. A better yeah, call Saul about prob- him. Yeah, exactly. We'd probably find out who Joe McCluskey is and for sure who Mr. Strawberry is. And we'd find out all this mm-hmm. information. But we're not doing that story. We're doing this story. Mm-hmm. Eventually, sometimes those paths this are going to This story cross. exists in a world yeah. where... And there's things from your story are going to intersect with this other story from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. You might get like a ton of clarity on that. You might not. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. It it just makes me think of one of the reasons. So I've seen um, The Haunting of Hill House, which was on Netflix mm-hmm. a year, two years ago, probably. I don't know. Time Three, is I think. 2018, I guess. So yeah. Three, fuck. Time keeps happening. And one of the things I adored about that show, and the reason I watched it a few times through, is there is a few sequences in the back half of the season that taught, like put a beautiful ribbon on like what seemed to be just sporadic random shit happening in the mm-hmm. first few episodes. And to me, like, that is just such a great way to tell a story. Like, the same thing I was just, you know, when you watch, read or watch, like, murder mysteries, it's very satisfying to see, like, 
oh, he mentioned white roses. Oh, and that's going to come back. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. It's and David Lynch. Usual suspects. Like exactly, it's, exactly. It's going and David back and Lynch. Like, oh, these are all the things he plugged in. And now you can, oh, I want to watch this. Like, and David Lynch simply can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> he will tie up what he feels like is interesting. Yeah. And if not, and it makes it hard to focus to me I mean it's, it's a bit of a criticism of him it makes it very hard for me somebody with ADD hard to focus on things because half of this stuff I'm learning I will never hear think, about it again so I I'm going to pay attention to Joe what's his face oh don't don't fucking worry about it it doesn't I think matter it's interesting because I think he uh, sees art as a living breathing thing sorry I dropped my phone <laughs> that's the second time in this podcast <laughs> I put it in my pocket Oh, great, because that'll work out Fuck because you. your pockets are so big. <laughs> it's the patriarchy. That's I why know, I can't have good I pockets. I'm not, I'm not blaming you for the pockets. Um, but no, David Lynch, I think, sees his art as a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. And so if he creates these things that could go somewhere and he never goes back to them, it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Beyond what I put out as a as a quote unquote finished product, mm-hmm. it lives beyond that. Because if someone were to go back in, myself or someone else, myself being David Lynch, oh, <laughs> um, if I were to go, but you know, if I David Lynch were to go back in and, and pick it up, here's all the places I could pick back up and tell the and continue this story, mm-hmm. or someone else could, or whatever. I think he sees if if I only give you this information and I put a bow on the top of everything. Mm-hmm. That's a completed piece, and I think it takes away the life of a project. Can I throw a metaphor at you? Because I only think in metaphors. Sure. I think David Lynch makes quilts in that there are patches and pieces, and some of them, it's like, okay, imagine like uh, like an old school quilt that has like just the square, square, squares, I don't know, and he'll zoom in on one or a cluster of one and you learn a ton about that and then you zoom out and there's still the context of it like Mm -hmm. this spills into that square that refers to this square you'll never hear it but then you can zoom into another one exactly and there's this like it's interesting to go back and think because when this when they were first throwing out the idea for Twin Peaks when Mark Frost and David original Twin Peaks yeah original Twin Peaks were not even Twin Peaks, Northwest Passage at this point. Oh, uh-huh. It started with a map. The huh. first thing they did was draw the map of Twin Peaks, the town of Twin Peaks, and said, this is our story. Where do we go from here? Oh, and I so love I, that. I, that, you know, that tracks with the, the quilt metaphor of like, this is where this all takes place. Let's start zooming in on right. people and places. And okay, there's a diner and there's a, you know hotel and their whatever mm-hmm. um yeah i like yeah. that what's going on in this location yeah. okay what's this little house oh it's a book house boys yeah interesting yeah i guess a lot of what's going on in twin peaks tends to be pretty situationally based i don't do know it's do like mean? um it's not frequent oh okay this is like less than half baked it <laughs> seems to me that it's infrequent that in Many important things happen just somewhere. So you don't like the one I can think of is like Donna and uh, Laura at the picnic. But it, no, I think that's just the nature of how TV works. Never mind. Sorry, it was not a good. I was just thinking that like everything was 
the events that happen are grounded in one location or the other, whether it's the diner, whether it's the hotel, whether it's the police station. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm just overthinking it, and that's just how you make shows. Those, because those are the set pieces they have. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. listen, I mean, not all then of... end up fine. Then you have to, like, okay, well, we built the Lidecker and veterinary clinic or right. whatever like yeah. yeah listen not all Neither. of my not all of my theories but, are perfect but the, the most th- of them are but i think there is some truth to that like yes they're limited to whatever set pieces they have and they can create more if they need them or whatever but they each one has good things happen in the double r diner mm-hmm. bad things happen at the roadhouse you know what i mean like but the, not all but that's not entirely right but but the double R is almost entirely positive. Yeah. You go there to get recharged and refueled and get hope again. And pie. Yeah. Hope and, pie. Yeah. But, hey, okay. you know. All right. All right. I think, th- I think we're going somewhere with that. Let's continue. Okay, let's do. Um. So, God, we did that entire 25-minute tangent or whatever mid-fight. <laughs> so he's still chopping Ike the Spike. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Obviously. So he's still chopping Ike the Spike. Um, With a quilt, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the abolition of the arm appears. We talked about that. He wants squeeze to, to squeeze off. his hand off. Don't like that. Cooper ends up squeezing Ike's hand so much his piece of skin becomes stuck to the gun uh, before another karate chop. Wait. Before with another... Oh. Boy, y'all, you need. Hey, fan, Twin Peaks FNM dot com. Please let me edit. Like it's it's not a lot of work. It will just make it more e- more more easy to read. Good job, Jess. <laughs> you just you fucking that idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before, with another karate chop, I painfully retreats. Um, which is funny. He just le- he just oh runs he just away. bails. Which I mean, to me, tracks like he's an assassin, right? So as soon as he's in danger, he's like, "See you never, nerds." Like yeah. I, I I don't he he's he doesn't have a vengeance yeah a vengeance for that's not words work okay um uh, various witnesses are interviewed about the incident, all expressing disbelief at Doug- Douglas Jones, which and, is my favorite part. And there's. I liked this. I remember the first time seeing this being like, oh, this this is going to come back. Mm-hmm. The way they're all interviewed, the witnesses or whatever, is very much you're getting the, you know, you're getting TV interviews, mm-hmm. local news interviews without the Chiron at mm-hmm. the bottom. So basically you're like, this is going to be on TV at some point. These interview clips are gonna play later. Someone's gonna see this and recognize, recognize Dougie. Dougie Jones and be like, "That's Agent Cooper. Mm-hmm. That's the Cooper we're or something." Mm-hmm. And because they're they're a very specific, yeah. hand, you know, TV cam over the shoulder, sure, you know. Um, and so there's that clearly is going to play later. Yeah, or at least that's what they're setting up. I think. Yeah, and I loved them talking to Janie E because she like everybody who's on one of those and then he was chopping and so I was kicking too yeah. and I was like no no <laughs> like it just making it all sa- and meanwhile Dougie's just like meh <laughs> like, and they're talking about this guy who's care. straight up comatose right right it's, um, it's just wild this is a sidebar I may cut this out depending on how interesting I get um, the only thing that 
makes me think you might like that Night Stalker documentary. Documentary. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember that it existed. So the Night Stalker was, um, like how beat uh, how um. Um, um, the Golden State Killer was the original, quote unquote, the original Night Stalker. Richard Ramirez was the Night Stalker, and he killed people up and down the mm-hmm. coast, mostly in uh, Southern California. But the, the the sort of climax of the documentary and of that story is that they finally get Richard Ramirez's picture, like his real picture, mm-hmm. and post it on fucking everywhere, right? Like on newspapers and things like that, and so. The story is that he was Richard Ramirez is riding a bus in in Southern California, I think it's Southern California, um, and rec- a guy on there recognizes Richard Ramirez, and like gets off at the next stop to go to call the cops, and the bus keeps going. And he says he's on X Y Z bus on this street, and people keep recognizing him, and so Richard Ramirez gets, gets off the bus to like try to fade, but so many people are recognized, and he's been tormenting this town for mm-hmm. years and years and mm-hmm. years and so it becomes this like herd of people who are like this is the fucking guy and yeah. there's no cops there yet and so Richard Ramirez is running down the street while just citizens are fucking chasing him and just being like no fuck you like you're the guy who's been killing all these people yeah. Yeah. and literally by the time the cops got there Richard Ramirez is like please take me away because he was so afraid of of the things and it's just such a cinematic yeah. story Interesting. and yeah. I yeah it's the whole documentary is okay okay i think it's a little <laughs> aggrandizing of the police who did an objectively terrible job um yeah that's but, yeah but um same thing i watched the the tiger two-part documentary the other day and they the like tig- yeah, about tiger woods oh tiger oh you watch that it was, i watched it while i was at work and it was just so like this is why his life was so hard and you're like this guy was an utter piece of shit yeah and like I, tiger woods is yes potentially one of one of if not the greatest golfer of all time mm-hmm. objectively a horrible human being well i yeah maybe there were reasons that led to why that happened mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he wasn't a horrible human being well and i think when you when you're like me and you're interested in true crime type things it you develop the ability to be like okay i understand why richard Ramirez, for example mm-hmm. his like cousin came back from war when Richard was like 14 and told him like in detail mm. about like the people he murdered. Like this guy had a fucked up childhood and you can hold those two things separately. You can say this guy is a monster and he had a fucked up childhood, which definitely contributed to that, but it's not an excuse because a lot of people have fucked up childhood. Explanations don't, don't equate to excuses. Necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And that's fine. I was just... Um, but they, they made... Like the 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 tiger doc made it sound like, and again, I don't know Tiger Woods. No, of course not. And I know what I've heard and whatever, and I don't think he's a great human being. No. But I didn't know him. I could be wrong. They interview a lot of people who knew him and don't seem to think like he was awful. He just, he had a hard go. Like, here's what I- It's interesting, and I get that they were trying to humanize him or whatever, but- Sorry, don't care. My response to that is always, um, and I actually ran into this on The Friendly Atheist, that somebody said, they wrote in because I called Republicans monsters, and she was like, I have Republican friends, and they're very nice, and my family members would not appreciate blah, blah, blah. And my sort of overarching answer to that is, Hitler had a dog who, by all accounts, he loved very much. 
just because this mm-hmm. person is kind to you does not mean they're yeah. not capable and of despicable things. What I, I saw a tweet, fuck if I can remember this, about how, like, if a woman hangs around with a bunch of whores and hoes and whatever, by everyone's, con- like, assessment, she also is a hoe and whatever. If men hang out with... I've me, never heard you say hoe, ever. I don't know if I ever have. And if a man hangs around with rapists and abusers and whatever, he's able to dis. Well, I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And he's able to disassociate, and mm-hmm. she is not. And therein lies a huge fucking problem. Well, and that kind of calls back to what I said. And I think Republicans are in that, because that's the same idea. Of, of like, course. This is who your party is now. Mm-hmm. The people who were... Fr- like, you... you I think the issue with that is not is your that person is probably if they're if they are genuinely a good person and mm-hmm. call themselves a Republican, they're probably not actually a Republican. They're probably just not a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think that's the key is that what the Republican Party stands for right. now. This is not the this is not the Reagan Republican Party, which was, was god awful also also but not as it overtly was, cruel it was no no you're right you're right it you're absolutely right. was it just had a nicer veneer they yeah they hid they hid behind mm-hmm. things they hid behind a uh, uh, a booming economy mm-hmm. well and <clears throat> what you're saying about the you know if a woman hangs out with the wrong crowd that sort of ties back into what we're talking about why um, Mr. C did not decide to kill that warden mm-hmm. and did kill the woman who I don't know if is a sex worker or whatever and there is a term for that it's called the less dead and it is a term for if a woman is a sex worker and she gets murdered the cops don't really take it seriously because oh, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. less dead she was basically asking for it and I, I think that is your your life is isn't import, as mm-hmm. important because you don't have mm-hmm. wealth and fame and right notoriety or whatever like family and friends and whatever seemingly yeah um and i just think that's an interesting well it's the whole it's an interesting way to watch that lost girls or whatever which is about that story of the sex workers who were getting killed Uh you know it's the same thing of like they just they had all the information they could have solved these crimes they just didn't care to well i think that's why this sort of true crime boom while admittedly problematic is very I think overall good for society which is maybe not a great take but I think because of this sort of true crime boom where all of a sudden everybody's really interested in like for example um, missing and murdered um, indigenous women that is a whole thing specifically in Canada but elsewhere is these indigenous women are just fucking vanishing Mm -hmm. and nobody's doing anything about it and now there are like well, it, if, it, if like, and if we've shined a spotlight on if him, Bob Jones can fig- solve a fucking crime with his fucking Google searches, mm-hmm. and the fucking police can't. It's not they can't; they won't. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's that's shining a light on the fact that this isn't about funding or ability or whatever. This is about the want well and it it also make i feel like the the one of the most effective arguments against the status quo of policing was 
What? We just have like 20 minutes to cut out. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Maybe I'll just drop it a and thing I'm in the middle of like. So we should move on fairly. Okay, soon. no, but I want to make my point. Yes. I have to have the last word. Um, I forgot it. <laughs> fucking Christ. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> I did forget it. No, Jessica, remember, you fucking idiot. I got it. I found it. I got it. I bet it's worth it. I think it is. Um, this summer, when there are all the Black Lives Matter protests happening, a theme that we saw time and time again is that people tended to, people and police officers were more concerned about property damage than the fact that human beings were dying. Mm-hmm. And that is one of those things that people are like, oh, well, they smashed a target. Like, yeah, who fucking cares about a couple windows? Like, Everybody had insurance. Like, yes, I'm sure it was mildly inconvenient for a couple Honestly, weeks. Honestly, probably most of them are better off. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. Like, because now they have money to yeah. upgrade whatever. And people are so concerned that windows are getting smashed when the protest was about people getting murdered. And it just really threw in a st- stark reality that not only are people were concerned about property but that's what the police are for the police are there to protect private property and if that means human beings have to die so fucking be it it's not a great look for them to be like oh my god yeah i know people got shot by the cops but also did you see that crack in that window it was distressing so ike the spike is wait where did we ike the spike ike the spike ran off I expect left. Oh, we were talking about the interviews. Yeah. So that happened. That's the end of that. We only have two paragraphs left. And I know we're going to spend all the time on it. At the Great Northern Hotel, uh, Ben Horn and Beverly Page are trying to track down a mysterious ringing noise and figuring out where it's coming from. So there's sort of like, it's, again. It's very flirty. Very flirty and such a long scene. Also, this, I put a pin in this back from when... Josie died and okay. Pete was staring at the walls that same sound is playing wow and Josie ended up in like the doorknob or whatever that same Adorable. like kind of ringing noise is playing and Pete was just like staring at the wall and then Audrey was like come with me we're gonna go try to catch John Justice Wheeler's plane do you have a theory or it's just an observation there the the Great Northern Hotel is some type of conduit or pathway or something to this other location. And you get more specifics on that later. Okay. Um, but I think that ringing is some type of feedback or something from the other world. Okay. Um. Or it's fucking Josie. A lot of people are saying that it's that sound is, is straight up. Josie is now living in the walls. Is Joan Chen? Existing in the walls of the hotel. Is Joan Chen still a working actor? Yeah, there's find this at some point and link it. But she wrote a fucking awesome letter to David Lynch about like, can I please be part of this? And oh, Joan Chen. She didn't get it. So That sucks. I mean... It was I probably mean, after the fact, and they didn't have a role for her. Or of course, like but there it, was a whole thing about like they were talking about. She's, it just looks that it was published, and so like kind of everybody like comes she off not she great. really wanted to be a part of it, and I think she's 
she was a, an actress and she was fairly well known in Hong Kong and came here and she was a working actress. She was getting work. Mm-hmm. But this was her big. Nothing was noteworthy. Sure. You know, what she's known for is Twin Peaks. Yeah, and it's funny because even within the world of Twin Peaks, people are like, merp, about her character. She was just in something I just saw, like, recently, like, just came out. Oh, really? Oh, Ava, that Jessica Chastain action movie wasn't very good. Oh. Uh, But she was in that. AVA or EVA? AVA. Interesting. Um, So after this little prance around the room... um, Beverly Page, so that this is what's her face. Mm-hmm. You have to say her name, Ashley Judd. Yeah, that's your that's your job. I say oh. what's her face, and you fill in the actor or character. Um, um, key, take note of her last name that comes Page? into play. P a i g e, which is interesting because you hear the name Page again later. Okay, spelled differently. Oh, spelled, spelled like a page of a notebook or whatever. Okay, or a diary, what? or a diary. Did she get a little off track there? No, that's what Leland says. Remember, I, they were talking about a dairy. Oh, a dairy! <laughs> and like, a diary? That could be. I thought that you were be. just doing a bad bit. No. It's a callback. All your bits are good. I should have known better. Um, and so Beverly says, oh, this just came in the mail today. And, of course, this is from when Jade it's had mailed that key. hotel key yeah. in. So that's, again, like these are moments where, like, if you wanted to piece this timeline together, you could. Okay, well, what happens with Jade? Mm, two, three, four days. Yeah. This this happens uh-huh. because that's about how long it would take the mail to get sure. there. And then what I love is that, you know, Ben Horn looks at it like, oh, wow, we haven't had these. And, mm. you know, it's, we switched to cards almost Such 20 years ago. Great nostalgia. Yeah. Oh, and then he's like, 315, wait a minute. And I love that he his, rem, his memory of it isn't. Where he was shot. That's that was Agent Cooper's room. It, it was, was that's where Agent Cooper was shot, because that's the sticking memory. Of course. Granted, he was arrested. Ben Horn was arrested, and all of that is still gonna be in his memory. I remember things that happened twenty years ago. You know, lefty tighty righty righty yeah. sticks with me. Uh, twenty years ago, when you were forty-five. <laughs> um, Mikey's older than me. It's a fun game we yeah, play. Yeah. Um, no, but he remembers it because. This was the most significant thing that happened in that room. Mm-hmm. Like, it isn't just like, oh, yeah, because Cooper was staying here during the thing and I was arrested. And I remember all of that happening. It was just. What room was he in? You might not remember that. Sure. But you remember that somebody was shot on your property in room 315. Especially when that key shows up 25 years later. Exactly. And it. And I love, I love that, like, it just seemed a very thoughtful, instead of just this, like, oh, we've been watching this series and this show every year for the last 25 years, so it's fresh in our memory. Uh, but in reality, sure. if you watch this once 25 years ago, you wouldn't remember what room Cooper was in. No, of course not. But if someone was shot on the hotel you own, you remember what room that is. Yeah. And I love, I, it's just a great attention to detail. Yeah. I think is really, really well delivered. So we see Beverly does not know anything about Cooper, doesn't know anything about Laura Palmer. Which, which is great. Which is great, and also tracks. Like, yeah. if you're in a small town 25 years later, and 
Sarah Palmer is reclusive. Leland Palmer's dead. Certain people probably know a legend of, oh, there was this girl who was murdered. Yeah, I feel like... There was a crazy... Her dad did it. Mm. It's this crazy story. I bet students know it. I bet young people know it. You know what I mean? Because like, oh, remember that girl who died? Yeah, this is her locker. This is her desk. Yeah, that's crazy. And it was... Oh, and there was, you know... But this woman who just... Presumably came to town fairly, you know, in the last few years. Got a job working at this hotel. She wouldn't fucking know. No, of course. And not. it's just a, a great reminder of like, oh, maybe Laura Palmer's not that important anymore. Yeah. In the town of Twin oh, Peaks. Oh, that's such she a good was point. Everything. Mm-hmm. That that was the the whole like catalyst for that entire story is that this one girl got murdered, mm-hmm. and it affected every single body in the town. Mm-hmm. She's not important anymore. Mm-hmm. And why? I, well, I mean, I think it has to do a lot with the fact that her father slash murderer is dead. Yeah. Sarah Palmer has gone reclusive but, from what we can tell. Mm-hmm. And so it left the public mm-hmm. awareness. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that, which totally makes sense. It, 1990 yeah. was so long Until ago. Until they make a true crime doc about it. They don't know. Oh my God. I just got the best idea. I'm going to cut this out because this is a million dollar idea. What if we made a faux true crime documentary about Laura Palmer? be so hard to do. Like you'd have to get like... No, but you wouldn't, ha- you wouldn't necessarily need the actors because you could just bring on somebody who's like in her late 40s and be like, oh yeah, she was in my English class with me and I always thought this. Yeah. And then you could just do like... Like a bad, bad fake doc. Exactly. Like they couldn't even get people close to her. Exactly. Maybe we get Dana Ashbrook. And, like they we sh- get one- <laughs> and they show like a photo and then it goes into negative. Oh yeah, big time. That's huge. That'd be a... F- <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that- then, and then it cracks. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Sarah Palmer. Nope. Laura Palmer never met a stranger. A murder in a small town. And she didn't need to meet a stranger because she knew boom, 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 her father. Who was maybe, it was like maybe Bob, he maybe came in through the window, yeah. but, uh, but then the, like the fan was on, so like you couldn't. I, We're going to talk a lot about the fan. I don't know. <laughs> and just some random cop who's like 25 years old. Like, like 30 for 30. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like the way they did 30 for 30 for um rocky, angels in the outfield rocky four and angels in yeah. the outfield. yeah that would be a Those very so good, good goof i think that'd be a good project for us okay we're not gonna do it are we nope <laughs> if somebody's listening to this and i left it in the podcast will you make that i think it's a very funny concept i will be a part of it if you want to interview me for it or whatever as a character, uh-huh. I would do Famous that. actor Mikey Greif, not guy who has no, a film am, degree and is very good behind the camera, Michael Greif. It, I'm not very good behind the camera. Michael? Michael, listen. Let's move on. I'm very hungry. Oh, yeah. I forgot we haven't eaten dinner yet. Um, uh, ben expresses amusement at the fact that Beverly doesn't know who Laura Palmer is, and he does the, like end of a teen movie thing of like we'll talk later <laughs> the i that's a long story i was sleeping with this teenage girl you see and then she was murdered and her father did it and i was arrested for it briefly we'll talk later that that story. i look really good at this story so yeah. don't get it twisted after she died i became a confederate general general for a minute <laughs> 
So yeah. things were pretty chill in Twin Peaks in the 90s. Yeah, but then I became a good person and I tried to save Ghostwood. Even though I would do a side straight to camera, like sometimes it's so hard not to do bad. <laughs> anyway. I switch my cigars for carrots. <laughs> Celery. Um, so Beverly, then we see Beverly return home. So this is our... I, I like things like this of like Beverly because she's played by a Judd sister. We assume she's got a little more meat to her character, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden we see this like sort of assistant nobody. Oh, we're going home with her. We're seeing what her yeah. home life is. Yeah, she runs into a nurse who had been there all day. How's he doing? Always oh, had a bad day, and then she gets in. Turns out it's her husband who is generically ill. Yeah, he's. Shaved head and everything. Cancer is the assumption. Right. Kind. Yeah. But they don't like it. Not anything in particular. Um, and I liked this scene a whole fucking lot. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's oh, weird. Oh, I'm glad you agree. Okay. I, it's weird because it doesn't seem to fit in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. But it's just in and of itself is a great scene. A very I, God, I really, really, really liked the, it. This is like this is a fucking like masterclass in subtext. A hundred. Oh and my god. And yes. it's it's obvious, but also not like so obvious that it's like roll your eyes at it. It's it's all delivered so well that like well, you could teach a class on about subtext in this. With yes, this scene. I agree with you. And what I like about it, and I feel like I, whenever something kind of like tickles my feminist sensibilities, mm-hmm. I always assume it's Mark Frost. I don't know why that is. I think Mark, I think I just Mark Frost like a is just more vocally political. Yeah. Um. But I think I think David Lynch is absolutely a feminist. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry. So I, I, don't I don't mean to doubt that right. David Lynch is. I don't is, think but, it's like a. I, and I think. We, we, you and I, or we, the audience. We, you and I, and we, all of Twin Peaks fandom, okay. tend to we put weird, interesting stuff in the hands of David Lynch entirely, and all the dialogue-driven oh. political stuff in the hands of Mark Frost completely. And I think there's a lot more collaboration than we give them credit for. I think you're right. I think. I think. Mark Frost probably came up with the initial idea, but I think they both worked it together. And I think that's the way everything is, especially in this third season. I mean, I think there is something about it's, e- for me, and this is has nothing to do with like Mark Frost and David Lynch as human beings. For me, it is easier for me to see a man alone writing interesting feminist characters than two guys in a room together bouncing ideas off. Yeah. It just seems it just seems more realistic that like somebody alone like doing the thinking. What's interesting That's based on nothing. It's just my I what's funny is that I would I would approach that the opposite way, but I'm a dude. I don't know if that Yeah, plays. you're a dude. But I, I see it as like someone would write this thing and I think this is so interesting. And all it takes is one other person, male be it male or female, mm-hmm. to say yeah, but what about the... Oh, okay. And then they kind of start yeah, back and forth thing. Maybe. I mean, and I 
obviously know nothing. Like I just realized said, I don't I think, even know what Mark Frost looks like. Like I don't know. That said, about I people. think Doctor Amp stuff is a hundred percent written entirely by Mark Frost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I think David Lynch was just like, yeah, make him write whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I just <laughs> think, I just think people bouncing ideas off of. I feel like it seems le- it seems less likely to me, and I cannot be clear enough. This is utter speculation it seems more likely to me that two men bouncing ideas mm-hmm. off of each other would not necessarily get on the most feminist sure thing because i think they would in my experience how dudes can be like mm-hmm. you rile each other up and you send each other on like you one up each other into uh, yeah. a masculine direction again i i'm sorry uh, no I, uh, that's that's fair i that's yeah yeah I, what I think is, like, it reminds... I'm trying to think of what I... I watched something recently about, like, a music doc or something about some band. And they were talking about how when they made a conscious effort to... God, I wish I could remember who it was. But they were talking about how... If if he comes up with it, I'll put it in the sure, notes. What they write... They were writing songs and they stopped putting it like if someone came up and I wrote 90% of this song this was written by us this was written by the band and they start they I mean, Lennon s- McCartney did that Lennon McCartney did that because Lennon McCartney famously wrote their own songs right. and then went to each other for- maybe it was like but it was like they had a problem with like the way they were getting paid is like oh well you're the songwriter you're getting paid more oh. and so as a band they collectively decided our drummer has never written a goddamn thing. But he's part of the process. They're getting credit for writing this song because... Okay. Because we, as a band, are doing every single thing together. Yeah. Um, and, and they started putting out... This song was written by all four members of this band. So I know this is not a cool reference, but I know Train did that. All of their songwriting credits were to Train. It was never yeah. to but I think Patrick, that's, I think his name was. because you... Money can ruin people. Yeah. And it, you know what it was? It was the Go-Go's documentary. Oh. And they were talking about how... Good pull, Mikey. It was um, how Jane and Belinda Carlisle were making... Er, and the bass player who was a songwriter, and I can't remember her name right now, um, were getting more money. And the drummer, who was one of the most consistent people in that band weren't getting as much money as the rest of the band. And it was bullshit. You know what I mean? Kathy Valentine? Yes. Um but it's it's an interesting. It's it's and they decided they made a conscious effort to switch that over to this was written by everybody and we get paid equally. Yeah, I And the fact that that had to be a decision and that had to be made is insane to me. Like I mean, no, I, I, that to me isn't insane at all. Like, I, I feel... Unless you're like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or, you know, Bruce Springsteen and the and E Street e. Band. Band. Yeah, Springsteen should get more, whatever. But like, when you're the Go-Go's and you do everything mm-hmm. together, I, I... But would you say the same thing? Okay, purely thought experiment. Would you say the same thing about the Beatles? Because Ringo... I love Ringo. Do not get it twisted, but he was a gen- he wasn't even a, an especially talented drummer. And Ringo he- is widely regarded as one of the best drummers of all time. 
Okay, I've heard you claim this before, yes. and I have heard absolutely because this. he knew his role, and he was so a you're saying fucking that the most... metronome. <sighs> I mean, if you're a drummer, there's that's something your to sort be said for that. But like, he's he's a guy who knew Lennon and McCartney and Harrison are the creative, artistic types, and they're gonna put shit out there. He's support stuff, and I'm going to do. I'm gonna make it so that I can make. I can push you forward. He's a behind the scenes and he knew Mm -hmm. like you never had to question if Ringo was going to do a good job. You didn't have to bring in a studio musician to play like so many bands brought in studio musicians for their drummers on their, on their records because their drummer wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Like Ringo is one of Ringo was like a fucking click track. Yeah. I was going to, and there's something to be said for that. And I think, that is incredibly important. He doesn't matter. They doesn't. If you can write a song and be like, "This guy can play it," I don't care what I write. This guy can play it. Mm-hmm. That's something to be said for that. And I think that's an equal cut as writing. If I can write you something and know and know that you're going to be able to do it, I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I, I just I, I'm I'm obvious. I'm a very much a team. Player, of, of course you are, and that's that's you know? always been your thing. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's. But I one of your. But best. I I think Ringo is probably the most inaccurately represented musician, probably ever. I think I think he. The fact that he was they kicked out a drummer because he wasn't good enough. Pete Best? Yeah. And like uh, Ringo. Who's the bassist before George? George's guitar is McCartney's always been but, the bass player. But, but he was but, not a bassist by trade. He played the bass because I, nobody else was playing the bass. Um, here's how we bring this full circle. Watch Backbeat, the movie about the early forming of the Quarrymen slash Beatles, uh, starring one Cheryl Lee. Really? Yeah. Hmm. She plays fuck. What's the guy's name? You're you're right. It's bugging, but it's it's a Stephen Dorff. Oh, Stuart Sutcliffe. Mm. Yeah, Stu Sutcliffe. Absolutely. Oh, you call him Stu? You and your close personal friend. No, I, I mean he. I've never, no, I, I honestly I've, have never heard him called Stuart Sutcliffe. It's always been Stu Sutcliffe. No, but so. That's what Backbeat is about. Is is Stu Sutcliffe is the main oh. the main character. Of Back Backbeat is Stephen Dorff, who plays Stu Sutcliffe, and his girlfriend is Cheryl Lee. So we're uh, actually before we move on, um, we're we're still in the middle of the scene with Beverly and her husband. Oh right. And here's what I really liked about this. Um, I think it, and how we got off track is I brought up Mark Frost and whether he wrote it or somebody else, and and then we talked about the Beatles. I'm I'm genuinely thinking of doing two editions of this episode, one that is an hour long and actually about the show, and one that is two and a half hours long and has all of our tangents. Sure, why not? I don't think that's a terrible idea. And then I can see, like, what people actually enjoy. Um, Anyway, I loved this depiction of abuse because... Generally, when abuse is shown on screen, we see it as somebody punching their partner, somebody physically combining their partner, mm-hmm. withholding something. Yeah, or tragic verbal abuse, like 
Yes, you're you. a useless cunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this was such an incredibly, this was such an incredibly unique and accurate view of I think what abuse actually looks like of this guy who is deeply, deeply sick physically, mm-hmm. obviously mentally a little bit, but whatever, is even from a wheelchair or whatever, like he clearly is immobile, not immobile, but does not leave the house very frequently and is still able to verbally abuse his wife in ways that change her action. And that's what abuse is, right? Like, it's not like every time you come home late, I punch you. It's every time you come home late, you have to tell me everything that you did and you have to explain to me why you would be at a certain place at a certain time. And 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 what's interesting about it too is that it come it seems to come from a place that isn't just this guy's bad and he's abusive mm-hmm. or he drinks and he's abusive it's seems to come from a place of like guilt or oh yeah like he's he's i'm sick and you have to take care of me and now you're probably cheating on me. Mm-hmm. And it's my fault and I'm mad at you for it. You know what I mean? Like, it comes from a place that, like, it's it's a natural and acceptable feeling. It's a very poor reaction to it. Sure. And I think that's what makes this scene so... Interesting. ...tangible. Like, mm-hmm. it's... Are you low-key on his side? Is that what's happening? No. Okay. I, 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 I think there's just an honesty to this scene of like, I, like it's, it's like we talk about all the time where we say how most like superhero movies especially, but most villains in movies need to be rooted in some level of they think they're the good guy. Sure. Which is, I think, why Black Panther was such a successful movie. Sure. Absolutely. And or or the exact you get the Dark Knight and it's he agent of chaos absolute like some people I don't just want to watch the fuck. world burn exactly but but you have to believe that this guy you have to be able to empathize and understand why this person would be yeah. doing this either he's doing this because he genuinely believes it's for the greater good or he's doing it because he, your fear your that's what he gets off on. Yeah. All he wants is for you to be very scared and he'll do whatever he has to do to, and that's a joker. And then in the, and the flip side, like she handles herself incredibly well. You don't think I would? No, I'm sorry. I, I, I do think he responded because I kind of shook my head. It's not, I wasn't shaking my head that no, she didn't, but like, like she's in a very, very, very difficult place. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would watch and an I, entire fucking movie about these. But two. I, yeah, I think I think taking care of sick loved ones is absolutely the hardest thing you can do. A hundred, especially because when they're old. All they do is fucking resent you, and because you were yeah. both their caretaker and the visible image of yeah. their captivity. Yeah, and it's and then like you want to go do something fun. Well, I can't do something fun. Why should you? Mm-hmm. And it's it's. It's fucking brutal, but it's, and it's, but it's this like cyclical abuse too. Like it goes back and like, I don't know. It's just. Well, it's interesting. So when I, oof, um, when I was 
I was pregnant for about a month and <laughs> I'll probably cut this out. I was pregnant for like a month and we, you and I had a discussion of like, cause some people are very much like, I can't drink. So you're not going to drink. Mm-hmm. And I think it's similar to that of like, well, if I can't have fun, you can't have fun. We're going to sit here and be fucking miserable together. <laughs> yeah. Which is. And I don't drink that much anyway. No, so no, like, no, no. Of course not. Even if you were like, I would prefer you didn't. I'd be like, that's yeah, fine. No, of <laughs> like, course. But I also yeah. think it's absolutely not my. Sure. I'm not allowed to tell you what you can or cannot do. Like if it's, if it's genuinely bothering me, I know you would. Or, yeah, if it were a thing where, like, I was drinking and I could see that it was upsetting you. Yeah. I should be able to see that. Yeah. And then I would say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Or it's like when you, when you, friends, family, or whatever, give, give up drinking because of alcoholism or mm-hmm. whatever. And you're like, should I, can I drink around? Play it by ear. Yeah. You know, sometimes, some are better than others. And like, you know what? If it's an issue where, like. You can get away with not drinking. Yeah, don't drink. Yeah. Don't drink in front of that person. You don't have to. You don't have to. Like, it's just things like that. Yeah. I mean, with the pregnancy thing, like, I really didn't struggle not drinking for the month. Yeah, you didn't even want to, really. No, 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 I didn't. And you drink a fair amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's part of my ritual, for sure. Sure. Um, And so maybe if I was, like, genuinely struggling not to drink while I was pregnant, that would be different. But that would also be me talking to you about, like, support I need, yeah. not your right. actions annoy me mm-hmm. or whatever. And and maybe our, maybe that's a naive and it, place it's to... It's like anything, anything in any relationship, and it comes... It's a fucking bad cliche, but it comes down to communication. Mm-hmm. Tell me that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, tell me where you were, because you can also see that... It, bothers me that i don't know where you were and why you were home so late yes that bothers me yeah tell me where you especially when you when i ask but if you, you're coming to me with like what the fuck were you doing tonight like right. that's not a conversation starter that's a fight starter yeah i like i feel like this is pinning me to on his side but i don't think this scene is as traumatic as you take it really like as far as a, a, of the abuse side of things Oh, I, that's so wild because I saw it as like, oh, this is a terrible toxic relationship. Oh, it's 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 a, a relationship as an at an impasse for sure. Okay. I don't think it's necessarily toxic because I don't think anything he's doing is intentionally malicious. And I don't know that she, vice versa. I don't. I don't think she's being intentionally malicious. Um, I think because because she's. It's difficult because she shows up late. We don't know how late. Yeah, presume- and we knew where she was. She was flirting with her boss in his right. office. Right. Which is not not great. Strictly not great, but not. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, whatever. But also like. The woman, the nurse, was on her way out the door when she got home. Uh, clearly, she stayed later than she expected. Oh, sure. She's putting a lot of people out to, like, hang out and find this silly sound with this yeah. boss man. And when he says, like, why were you so late? You didn't call to say you were going to be late. Why were you so late? Where were you? Yeah. And she says, I had things to do. That's a shitty answer. 
It's a shitty answer. Yes. Like, I, I'm yes. just saying it's not 100% an abusive, one-way abusive relationship. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he handled it well, and I don't think he's vindicated in, like, right. the fucking saint in this situation. But I think this is just... That's why I think this scene is yeah, so good. Yeah, I, I is guess that this if I'm is a... just tensions mounted as high as they can be because she is struggling with taking care of this guy and she's paying for this fuck. She didn't want to have to take this fucking job to pay for this fucking nurse to take care of this guy. Meanwhile, this guy's trapped at fucking home and he can't do anything. Yeah. He can't see anyone. And all he wants to see is his wife because it's all he can see and she's not even fucking home. Yeah. It's both of them are just tensions stretched. Yeah. And I don't think it's as as abusive as much as it is just a very, very difficult place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I, that's, that Mikey, was my take. I, no, I think that's an extraordinarily fair point in a way that I wouldn't come up, come to on my own. Yeah, and I guess everything's, di- you know, if say we had a kid and me dicking around in the office and staying late is fine now, but if we're paying a babysitter, mm-hmm. that's a different situation. It, okay, all right. Not, I just, I, not, neither of them are, hundred percent the bad guy neither of them are the good guy right this it's it's a, that's why it's so honest is yeah. that it's all gray area yeah that's good yeah that's <laughs> a good point <laughs> and then the fact that it doesn't matter oh, to, it's to a the world of twin peaks murder. none of this fucking matters we've spent how fucking long talking about this scene and we never see tom again Honestly, we might not even see Beverly again. Don't remember because it's that important. But isn't that life, though? Yes. Like, you and I have... And that's what makes it such an important and great scene. Like, is I that feel is, like is you and an I have... honest encapsulation of just reality. You and I, I don't think, have ever fought about anything big. We didn't... I think once we fought because you hadn't proposed to me and I was, like, going slowly insane... Uh, because I don't even remember. Oh well, it was because it, I was like in my late twenties, and I knew we wanted to have kids, and I was just like, I this is a I'm gesturing to my uterine area, like <laughs> this is not a forever thing. But in general, you and I do not fight over the house we bought, the car we bought, the dog. What we fight over is like I left some shit out, and it's not that thing I left out. It's the 35 things I left out before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, that's how couples are. You yeah. fight about garbage shit. Not, I mean, and if I would honestly say me basing on the one relationship I have, but like, I feel like fighting about dumb little things is 12,000 times more healthy than like, well, I want to move to the suburbs. I want to stay in the city. We're going to scream at each other about that. What, what do you, yeah. Like when it comes to those things, we haven't had many of those of, I absolutely want this, and I absolutely do not want that. Yeah, and that's that's the key to any relationship. And so when you get to these moments of like health becomes a major mm-hmm. fucking thing, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like that's it's just showing the difficulty people have to go through. I and I think it's a valuable piece of media because. Mm-hmm. That conversation that they had 
is conversations that are happening across the country and around the world every day. A conversation mm-hmm. about is this man a doppelganger or is he a real person right. is not one we necessarily and stress ourselves over like too this, frequently. This whole scene feels like it could be like an acting class fucking repertoire. I was like, thinking the, I would watch a one-act play of both, this scene. Not, both of them are just like they have so much subtext in both of their roles. Well, they're both like, angry and miserable. And then they have so much to draw from. Like, there's so, like, and you can make it, he's the bad guy. You can make it, she's the bad guy. You can make it, both of them are the good guys. You can make it both, like, you can do whatever you want with this. And the fact that it weasels its way in and out of both of those so well is mm-hmm. just fucking incredible. It's very good. It's it's a shame that it has no real bearing on Twin Peaks as a fucking... And it's funny because... It's a new character that we've seen very, twice, very briefly maybe. a couple of times. Yeah. And her husband, who this is the only time we see him, it's wild that such a great scene happens without it being this, ingrained into the fucking rest of the show. So this is a scene that now I'm very curious who if if either Lynch or Frost um spearheaded it, I guess is the word mm-hmm. I'm going to use because I've I you've seen more David Lynch than me. Mm-hmm. To me David Lynch is not a I I feel like there are some directors and some writers who their whole jam is Let's sit with this couple who's going through something terrible, and mm-hmm. that's the movie. The movie is just this. Lynch, it does not seem to be a thing Lynch does, but I could be Lynch wrong. Lynch likes to likes trauma. Trauma, yeah, with a T, yeah. Lynch likes to live in these dark places because I I think he finds it cathartic. Sure. And Frost is good at making those things real. Instead of just this, I'm in this dark space right now and I want to put this weird dark color on canvas. Mm-hmm. Mark Frost is a good is good at being like, let's let's stake this in the real world somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I think this scene feels like a genuine collaboration. It's very good. It yeah. it, it it's a very, I'm very, very good scene. Lord that we've talked so much about this scene. I thought you would move right past this scene. Why did you think that? Because it has no real bearing on the rest of the show. Yeah, but I I think the way I watch this show is a little more scene to scene because I... And that's how you should. Well, and it's... Like, that's that's how Lynch directs is take this emotional ride. Yeah, but it's also a flaw of mine that I really have trouble hanging on to like, okay, this thing happened in episode two and now it's coming back and like... Like when he said they repeated lines, that didn't even fucking ring a bell. Like I, I. But that's but that's a different type of viewing. If you're just getting the emotional reactions out mm-hmm. of this, David Lynch did what he wanted to do. Yeah, which is my. What's the thing you used to say about me? Of like I'm a director's dream uh, audience. <laughs> oh yeah, hammer? like I yeah I used to because if something is sad, you're gonna weep. If if something is funny, you're laughing out loud like gut laughing out loud if something is scary you're like clutching the person next to you like you react the way i'm every director wants an audience to react i'm fundamentally extroverted i have a hard time containing emotions to myself um but 
but yeah, it's anyway. Uh, okay, let's. Are you any less thoughts on that scene? That no, we, I just we I spent th- triple the yeah, amount of time I think it's on it very, than they did. Very good. I think I, it's I very too. very good. It's, and it's well acted. Is that guy somebody? Her husband? I don't know him. Okay, I didn't recognize Offhand, him either. at least. Um, but it's again, it's one of those scenes that in the handful of Twin Peaks podcasts I've listened to, and the handful of you know recaps and write ups mm-hmm. and stuff I've listened to. Does it get- I don't hear anything about this scene. I oh, feel really? Like I don't think I've heard people react to I this. Love and this I scene. think it's because it just doesn't fit in the Twin Peaks universe. Yeah. It yeah. it's just a scene about a relationship of two characters that we don't really care about. Yeah. I mean, and that's always for me and I think going back and re-listening to this the thing I grab onto is almost always relationships. Yeah. That is something that's really in, important. To, where, and I think people look for certain things in art, right? Like you are always more acute, uh, aware, excuse me, of, oh, that's a good shot. Oh, this is a good stream. Oh, the sound is really good. Like you you have an the eye on... of it, sure. You have an eye on technicality in a way that I don't give a fuck about. Sure. And, and, and or don't notice or hear. And as an inverse, that's how I feel about like music. Mm-hmm. I you know the technicality much more than I do. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what gravitated me toward like the punk rock scene is that it's lyrically it's, and rhythmic driven, yeah. which are things you can recognize. I can recognize, and I don't care that this guy can't sing very. Well. I listen to like Jello Biafra from the fucking Dead Kennedys or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah. Like they can't. Like some of them cannot sing. Oh, shit, I fucked up. Yeah, and that's What's that from. Why do I know that? I it's. What you're referencing is uh, some friends of our, some friends of mine. Oh, is this not I, even a cultural reference? No, absolutely oh, not. Okay, this is, we don't need to talk. The, but this, this was we went and saw. We were at an Alkaline Trio show at Fireside Bowl in Chicago, and they were playing "Message from Kathleen," which is a song of theirs. And I'm still here waiting for a message from Kathleen. And Dan Adriano, who has a little bit of a lisp, ha- was singing. I'm still here waiting for a message from Eugene just because he thought it would be funny to say Eugene instead of Kathleen. Classic humor. And we're all jamming out. We're right up in the front and he's up waiting for a message from Eugene. And everyone kind of dropped their arms that were in the air. And Mikey's doing some side-eyed fist tilt, pumping. Yeah, tilted their head like, what? Did you just say? And he goes, oh, fit. I got busted. <laughs> and it was just a thing that since then we've joked about dropping that line because he whatever and it was just a dumb thing um but yeah it's the idea of like because punk rock is about an attitude and about a oh you get stuff out like i it's very emotional and very um cathartic yeah for sure is the thing and i think that's how David Lynch is a punk rock director like that. Like he's about getting those emotions out. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, whatever. And that's why I, what do you what do you even call Twin Peaks? One seasons one, two, three. Is it a comedy, drama, mystery? I mean, obviously mystery. there's a mystery, but drama it's mystery? fucking silly as fuck for an entire season almost. Mm-hmm. And then it's also fucking really dark and it's a horror. And it's all of it because yeah. that's fucking life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. 
Okay, so <laughs> leave that. We're gonna leave that scene behind. We're gonna go to the roadhouse. Um, all the customers have left. A man sweeps the floor in real time. Uh, Jean Michel. Yeah, they got a new. He's apparently a new Renault. It's just that guy. From, it's the. It's, it's the bite the bullet baby guy, right? It's Walter Olkovich. The guy. It's the same. Guy, but he's playing a new movie. Renault brother. Okay, all right. Or a new Renault Did we see character. that guy die? Uh, yeah, Leland kills him with a pillow. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. the same actor ostensibly playing a different Renault Renault brother. Because he, he says at some point the Renaults have run, Renaults oh. have run this place for 57 years or whatever. So we watch somebody sweep an entire uh, bar in real time. Okay. And the... Uh, oh, fuck, what's that song that's playing? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, Green Onions. Green Onions. Booker T. Booker T and the McGs. Yeah. MGs. Which is a song I've known. Mm-hmm. It's like a really ubiquitous song in a way. Mm-hmm. Of... Mm-hmm. And it's just repetitive. It doesn't change. It just mm. keeps, it's very, you know, reliable. Jam bandy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after 25 minutes of sweeping, uh, the phone rings. Uh, Jean-Michel uh, answers the phone. And then we learned that the roadhouse is also they're still in, running girls out of the right the roadhouse. Yeah. Um, and apparently, uh, Jean Michel sent a couple blonde girls mm-hmm. to a customer, and turned out they were fifteen. Yeah, he says and he doesn't seem to care. Oh, not interested yeah. in the. They had the ideas. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. yeah. Um. And yeah, God. So uh, we, I, you, and I have talked in our real life about using prostitute versus sex worker. Um, and a lot of that le- sits on, like we said before, the less dead of, oh, mm-hmm. well, she was making risky choices, so her death doesn't really matter that much. And never has it hit me so much than hearing Renal say prostitute 37 times, and each time it genuinely feels like a little stab of, mm-hmm. like, fuck these bitches. Like, they're useless and worthless. Mm-hmm. I sent them out to fuck somebody. If don't care what happens. Yeah, yeah. Give me my money. Yeah. What? I don't know their names. Uh, they wanted blondes. I sent him two blondes. What? Fuck. I, how old? They had IDs. They both had good IDs. Look, this has nothing to do with the Roadhouse. Roadhouse has been owned by the Renault family for for 57 years. We're not going to lose it now because of a, a couple of 15-year-old. Straight A students. No, no. <laughs> Those girls, they are whores, pure and simple. From what I hear, though, they were straight A whores. <laughs> I, I think it's a good uh, look back on how we consider certain members of society less dead. Mm-hmm. And similarly, Meanwhile, I don't this care guy's that a if- piece of shit. Absolute piece. So it's of not shit. like, oh well, I'm the upstanding guy, and these oh. fuck these. Guys. Oh, I, I have to keep my reputation. Yeah. Like, no, 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 sir. Um. Anyway, he denies any responsibility for wrongdoings, and so that's right. This entire scene. Here's what I like about this scene. So it feels to me, and I could go on a whole story about my sister's wedding and how my mom. One of the things that she was like adamant about the sorbet sorbet course and how there had to be a sorbet course because it's the palate cleanser and all this whatever this scene 
is the sorbet course. So we had this whole episode. This episode's great, by the way. It, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. There's like a that. lot of really good stuff, especially compared to the last episode that was like struggling to find its footing. Yeah, it it's, this episode is dense without being uh, inscrutable. Right. And there was a bunch of great like nods or direct references to older Twin Peaks. A lot of it takes place in Twin Peaks. Mm. Like we get pages of Laura's diary. This is stuff. This is what we were wanting. Right. When we wanted season three to to come back. So we're getting this stuff. We're about to go into part eight. Which part eight, like I remember on, on Twitter before it aired, like people, Mark Frost, other Showtime people being like, get ready. (laughs) This is going to be the most insane thing you've ever seen on television. Mm -hmm. And it is. Mm -hmm. And so this, so this scene is like borderline and intermission. This scene is like everything we were building up to, we were building up to, we're going to give you a break. Nothing's happening here. We're sweeping up a floor. We got a, this guy's scumbag. Yeah. All of this is just relax. Take a step back, and then we're going to get into Ray and Mr. C. And Ray and Mr. C. And next week's episode picks up exactly there from Ray and Mr. C. And then goes off into crazy places. Mm -hmm. And it's great, and it's crazy, and it's wild, and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. This episode is the palate cleanser for what you're about to see. Also, I like that I had another thing. Okay. Oh, the other thing I like is this helps set some type of timeline for Twin Peaks. So this is in Twin Peaks. Roadhouse is closed. So it must be late. Right? Mm-hmm. How late do you think the road co- roadhouse close? Two amber. Double R Diner is oh is so at this point we what we see first is the roadhouse empty. Mm-hmm. No one's there. They're sweeping up. Place is closed. Then we go to the Agent Cooper scene with Ray, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. Which then, we know is one thirty in the morning. Right. Then we go to the credit scene, which is the Double R Diner bumping. Yeah. And we've... Is the Double R Diner's 24 hours now? Could be. I've never thought about it. Like, to, in my experience, most diner... Like, I feel like Chicago diners tend to be open. Like sure. a, a gold, Golden Corral? No. Golden Nugget? Golden Nugget. Oh, like I miss Golden yeah, Nugget. Yeah. yeah. Or Golden Sea... Golden Sea is that what it's, no? What was the the pl- the place we used to Golden? What was the place we went to next to the <gasps> Golden rib? Pancake? Golden Pancake, next yes, to the rib, next that, to the rib that they film Widows in. The yes, because that that play it, Golden Pancake it's it's in Uptown in Chicago on Broadway I think or Clark no not Clark it's the weird intersection of Irving Park Broadway Clark where they not Clark not Irving Park uh, Broadway and Irving Park where they not Irving Park 
Fo- not Foster. Lawrence. I'm so, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lawrence. What were you thinking of? Lor- I was transposing oh, okay. the Lawrence part. Lawrence and Irving. It's just like this hella old school diner. Right diner, next to the Riv. Right the next Riviera. to the Riv. Cash only. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. they it's have, great. like, they have not updated the interior design since the 70s, oh, probably. For sure. And so it just so looks like every. Right across from the Bridgeview Bank, which mm-hmm. is where they film all the fucking bank vault scenes because they have one of those big ass old school yeah. twisty. I have a wild vault. story about like, Bridgeview so Bank. Public but... Enemies was filmed there. They filmed uh, hi- or Thief there. The Michael Ma- like, Thief. A, the Michael Mann movie. There's a bunch of shit that they film in that bank because it's so it's such a it's a very iconic, iconic old timey. Well, Uptown bank. is a very yeah. like 1920s sure. Art Deco place. They also a lot blow of up the fucking green mill in in uh, Thief, which is awesome. Do you think it's because they tried to charge me uh, yep, cover when right. I came in at 1 a.m. on New Year's? Listen, green mill, I get it. You're better than me, but don't <laughs> charge people cover after midnight on New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's bullshit. And then we ended up going to. Uptown, Fat Cat, dude. Fat Cat's Fat where Cat it's at. for life. If you're in Uptown, fuck the Green Mill. Go to Fat Cat. I mean, don't honestly go to Green Mill sometime. No, don't go to Green Mill. No, go to Green Mill like off hours though. No, go to go Michael. walk by. Look, the outside of Green Mill is better than the inside. I love. I, I fuck enjoy the Green the Mill. Gr- wow, Michael. Fuck the Green Mill. Wow. I just want to go to the unless show. they're gonna let you in the fucking tunnels to go to the fucking Aragon. Fuck the Green Mill. Listen, I went to the Green Mill because I was supposed to be meeting some friends for lunch and I got there early and I wanted to read in the bar across the street because that's my favorite thing to do. And the bartender had some like dope stories and I would like to go there. But also, I went there for a beat poetry night and it was great. Anyway. um, I can't believe you don't like the Green Mill so hard. it's, It's a place that... Sorry. Anyway, I don't care. Um. So the timeline. So yeah, so it sets you at a point where you're looking at 1.30 in the morning-ish and seemingly all these scenes take place at the same time. But David Lynch is not a linear director, so... Right. They could just be... But exactly. Okay. But that's part of, like, it's a major clue as to putting together a timeline if you want to. Okay. Because this, this, the night, the night place, the, the roadhouse seems like the night place is fucking empty and closed. And the day place is so full. And the the fucking double R diner is bumping. Huh. Also, the thing that people talk about, and we can go into this more when we get actually technically to it, but there's a major continuity error, it seems like, but that seems like it wouldn't happen, so it seems... You have two shots of the double R in that scene. One uh-huh. from the left side of the bar, the, uh-huh. the center bar thing. Uh-huh. One from the right side. And the crowd that's in there changes dramatically from one shot to the other. Do you think that's a mistake or do you think that That seems like they're setting... Because what's interesting is the guy who pops in in the first shot who says, like, has anybody seen Billy? Uh-huh. Is the same guy who's walking up to the front counter to pay his bill. In the second shot. And this is where people started really diving into and jumping on the alternate theory about parallel timelines. Mm. That sounds like something my brain will not accept. Probably. But it's interesting. Anyway, 
I think it's easily dismissed, but I think this floor sweeping scene is actually pretty important. Do I, you, you know what I mean? I like. So do you think the floor sweeping is... I think it's A, a palate cleanser, and B, a timeline stamp. And I think those two things are important. Okay. And it's a reminder, too, of like, live here. Stay with these characters. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, don't fucking rush everything. We, you, get a, you get the last episode, which is weird. Then you get this episode where you get a bunch of new information about all the mysteries. And then all, then of, all of a sudden you pump the fucking brakes. Like, it's... He's putting you on. I his mean, pace. David Lynch. David Lynch loves to do that. Yeah, absolutely. We we've flagged it time and time again that oh, I know who killed Laura Palmer. LOL. We're gonna For have sure. a twenty five sure. minute conversation about Ham and fucking Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that tracks with what he's. Sometimes also. He got someone to fucking clean up his sets for, uh, you know. Hey, <laughs> we why, pay, we, uh, why don't you just sweep all this up? We had up? to pay him union wages. You yeah, know that. Yeah, that's fair. It's fucking sag. <laughs> yeah, I... Right? I mean, no, I, 100%. But now I... I think it's easy where, to dismiss. Where I am sitting right now is on the verge between everything David Lynch does is important and meaningful and purposeful versus I don't know I like this song and I want to play it for a while mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I don't know what's the right answer and nor do I know what makes and it and that's the beauty of David Lynch is you get both of those equally and if you can make something out of it good for you if yeah. not who cares no yeah. I don't know so the topple gang uh, Mr. C leaves the prison in a beautiful beautiful this is one shot beautiful shot oh I thought you were gonna say beautiful car and I was like no oh I love that a car. I don't remember it being no. beautiful B it's, it's you don't a give shitty, a fuck it's about cars it's literally a shitty rental like, yeah. it's like a fucking they say it I think. old Ford tourist yeah. no this shot of like there's a guard at the one end of the hall blasting a a, a flashlight oh, yeah. down the thing and it's like only lighting and it's up. like LED oh, so it's, it's so good very um, and then and then and then Coop steps out of the cell and you see it's it's like lighting up the bars in this beautiful way and then down where the guard is you see Ray steps out mm-hmm. and it's just it's one just beautiful wide shot that plays out gorgeously gorgeous it's very beautiful um okay and then we go to the Dolores Diner hiding Shelly or certain customers Norva Norma still working on her paperwork which again that's another inconsistency there's two wide shots. Mm-hmm. She's the booth. She's not in that booth. Really? Like in that wide shot, you see her doing that, and then they show the wide shot from the back right corner, mm-hmm. and there's other people in that booth. Huh. Like think- it's it's a weird scene. Also, who the fuck is Billy? Yeah. And what? is Billy this guy that we met earlier who owns the truck that we never got a name for? Oh. Who, I don't know. Who the fuck is Billy? Who the fuck is this guy looking for Billy? Sure. All of it yeah. is super strange. And I don't think if if you're doing a shot on the credits and you only do two shots, mm-hmm. one from this side, one from that side, and they're 
blatantly different, that's, that's not a continuity error. Yeah. That's intentional. Yeah. Interesting. And so what is being said with that information? Hmm. All right. Well, you know, we chugged through like three quarters of this episode in an hour, and now we're at two hours and 40 minutes. All came in the back half. Um, do you have anything you want to... So say somebody's listening to this and has never seen part eight before. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to tee up for them? Because my thing would be like, take your edible like an hour beforehand. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I I mean, and that's that's you. That's not me. Um, <laughs> I've, no, I mean, obviously, like that's... I'm not a... That's not a thing. A I horrible do. stoner. Um, but the key is is just don't expect another episode like anything you've seen. This episode, sit, just sit back and take everything that happens. Take the fucking ride because mm-hmm. it's gonna be different and it's gonna be odd and it's gonna be strange. Yeah. And it's incredible. Hopefully, uh, we we've got we're in talks with a friend of mine who's a fan of the show who may join us for next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed if it'll be available. Um, yeah, everybody's really busy these days. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... It's it's where... It, this ep- The next episode really allows you to start getting creative with your theories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Kind of all the rules are thrown out the window. Sure. It's it's just weird shit happens. And it's... It really, f- like, ties into the mythos of Twin Peaks, but doesn't directly affect the specific story we're telling so far. Mm-hmm. And so, prepare for that, I guess. I, yeah. Cool. Um... But I think they do a good job of... Like they didn't lead last week's episode into part eight mm-hmm. because that would have been like, what the, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Like this episode was really, really good. There's a lot of great stuff in this. And so next week's episode isn't going to scare people away. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, okay. And I think if I remember correctly, the the episode after that is is more in line with the episode we just saw. Mm-hmm. So, okay. It isn't going to be like, well, this show just fucking jumped the shark. I right. don't know where they're going now. Right. Um, I don't know. All right. Well, I just, for the record, we're at two hours and 43 minutes. So whatever you're listening to, that's how much garbage we, <laughs> we chopped yeah, we out went. of this. All the way off the rails a few times, but thanks. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk to you next week. Good luck. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>